Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Midnight Cast, the official podcast of the Midnight Romero Society. I am Midnight Dave, and today I am joined by... Jenny from the Grave. Katron. Jet Mike. And today, this month, we are talking about Psycho Gorman. But first, a message, an announcement, if you will. For those that know me, uh, I work at or for a local nonprofit venue called ATAC, Downtown Music and Arts. And we, after months of planning, are having our own drive-in. It is called Reels, Meals, and Automobiles. And it will be the last four Saturdays in July. It will be hosted by the Plymouth Church in Framingham. That's Framingham, Mass. So any Massachusetts natives listening to this, check it out. $30 a car. Gates open at 8 o'clock every night. And the movies will start at 9. There will be food trucks and some pretty fantastic animated classics such as The Iron Giant, Secret of Nim, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and of course, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. So come on down uh, if you want to buy tickets or just for more information, check out atac160.org slash reels. Check it out. Limited space, so get your tickets now. And with that, hey everybody, it's good to see you again. Hello. It's good to hear you. It's good to hear you. It's good to see you over this Zoom call. It's hot today. So hot. I'm hot. I'm sticky. I'm sweaty. It's pretty humid. Yeah. You know who's got me beat in the sticky department? Who's that? Psycho Gorman. (laughs) (laughs) The alien creature is covered in blood almost all the time. And other goo. He's covered in like blue goo. Blue goo and pink blood. Yeah. Pink blood. Like Pepto-Bismol. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they actually use Pepto Bismol for the blood. That I hope be, so. That'd be great. So what everyone think of this I call a modern classic? That's the exact phrase that went in my head when you said, what does everybody think? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Loved it. It's that it's that type of movie that you can you can just put on and watch in any environment, any mood, and you're just gonna feel better about everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun, fun, gross movie. <laughs> Kids shouldn't watch this movie, probably. But they'll want to. But if I did as a kid, it would be my top. So <laughs> definitely. They they have characters to relate. It's definitely of the uh the Giver or freaked kind of vibe where it's just a little bit too adult for kids, but that's mm. why kids love it to begin with. Yep. You know, it's just like give me give me that over the top gore. I guess no pun intended. They was did that it, deliberately. Was it not rated? I don't think it's rated. It's rated PG for Psycho Gorman. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering about the rating. I couldn't tell from watching it. I was like, is this PG-13? Is gore, it R? There's no way this wouldn't be an R, but I don't think it is. I think it was not rated because it wasn't released in theaters, I don't think. There's no swearing. There's no sexy stuff. Hmm. But, the, well, there's a very moderate swearing. It's hmm. PG-13 level swearing. Yeah. Definitely enough gore to choke a barn full of horses. Yes. <laughs> and let's let's start start from the top where I mean our first ounce of gore is really like when Psycho Gorman appears, but how he appears is pretty fascinating, right? Because they're playing we open the scene and it's uh, Mimi and Luke playing the titular game Crazy Ball. Crazy Ball. Crazy ball. When I just seeing them 
open with this game that they obviously invented themselves. I was immediately thrown a nostalgia curve. I don't know about you guys, but definitely had games that I invented as a child. Yep, me too. What were their names? <laughs> what games did you play? We played Death Ball. Death uh, Ball. Ooh. Death Ball. What? Yeah. Um, not as intricate as Crazy Ball, but it involved sometimes a rubber ball or a tennis ball, any ball really we could get our hands on, and we would throw it toward the school wall in the playground, which was actually a parking lot because, you know, I grew up in Fall River, so there's not much green grass. Uh, (laughs) And it's all a matter of like catching it. And if you, if someone throws it and you catch it before it hits the ground, they have to run towards the wall and touch it. Mm -hmm. At that time, you can throw it at them. And I don't know (laughs) what happens. They're out or that's a point or something like that. That's just one of the many rules that I'm pretty sure people just made up as they went along. Just to throw a ball. Death ball. We're gonna have to Death play ball. this. We're gonna have to play this at the next in-person MRS meeting. That'd be wonderful. Um, when I was younger, my brother and I made up all kinds of games, uh, but the one that comes to mind was called Close Calls. It basically <laughs> it was like a form of chicken for little kids. We would okay. um, usually involve bikes and it was would be us driving directly at each other really fast and whoever chickened out was the uh, loser. And oh, we would just, we would scream close calls as loud as possible or close call <laughs> as loud as possible for everybody to hear. It's mm. wonderful. I have two that I can remember. Uh, one being a game called Zombie. Ooh. This was a, I played this with my cousins, a variation on like tag, freeze tag, hide and seek. It was sort of like hide and seek plus tag, where the person who was it was a zombie. So if they found you and tagged you, that person also became someone who would go and find everybody else. And then you just keep tagging people until everybody was like a zombie. Mm-hmm. There's one person left. I broke my arm playing that game once. Oh! fell off a fence and my brother thought I was trying to tag him while I laid on the ground going, uh, get dead. And then he didn't believe me until I held up my mangled arm and was like, no, go get dad, man. This is not good. Whoa. Super fun game to play. Very intense though. Wow. Um, And the other game was drunken darts. (laughs) So my my grandma's basement was where the kids would hang out, uh, unsupervised as you you do with a fridge full of soda. So obviously we're going to do whatever we wanted. And there was a dartboard down there. Sugar high. Pointy darts. So drunken darts is someone would spin you around. And then at the last second, they would like put their hands over your eyes and pull you backwards. And that's when you threw your dart at the dartboard. So wherever it landed, we'll see. Uh, Also super fun game. We definitely got darts in the fridge. I think someone got one someone threw it once like straight up in the air and then it like came back down but i think everybody ran in time i'll be yeah that's that's exactly what crazy ball made me think of love it the rules to crazy ball are just as ridiculous as every game we've all mentioned here which i can't even begin to describe what they are besides throwing balls at each other Uh, in in the mud there's the two kids playing the They've got the little like uh, face paint made of mud. One kid has cat. Luke has the cat whiskers, which I thought was adorable. <laughs> Very intense. They're like really intensely playing this game. Uh, I'm pretty sure people people wrote out the instructions, and they are online. If anybody is interested in playing Crazy Ball, there. Absolutely, it's like Quidditch now. Like 
it's real now. It's in the world. Mm-hmm. It it feels like too like the I got a lot of there's a lot of homages in this movie. Yes, and I, I feel like Crazy Ball is very much like Calvin Ball from Calvin and Hobbes. Oh. And I feel like the character of Mimi is Calvin. Mm-hmm. I can and that see was that. the whole thing that I, you know, and, and, and Luke could be Hobbes too. It's, you know, so that, you know, a lot of loving homages. And, and I, I think that was one of the good ones. Definitely. Yeah, that absolutely. way Luke has the cat whiskers. Whoa. There you go. Bam. <laughs> it could be a hybrid though. Like, um, like uh, Mr. Gorman and Luke could be, Hobbs, you know, because Gorman's the tall, not so silent type, and then you know Luke is the <laughs> is the quiet silent type. So as they're playing Crazy Ball, they hit a switcheroo, which you can tell right in the beginning is a big deal. That's when you're both throwing balls at each other and they collide. Uh, so Mimi ends up winning, and loser has to dig a hole so that then they can get buried alive by the winner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so Luke is digging the fastest, deepest hole you could ever dig. It is so big. It is <laughs> at least a 10-foot circumference. Like, this thing is huge. It's over his head. He's probably four feet tall. Uh, and it's, it's dark nighttime, and he's got a little lantern on the bottom as the, he's digging this huge ditch. And he happens to dig something up. Well, he hits something down there. It's like a manhole. It looks like uh, the thing that Rita Repulsa comes out of. <laughs> the top of that yeah but she it, it needs a code right and that's that's where the like the shtick comes in where she's like oh this is cool and then she just randomly starts pressing these stone buttons on this manhole looking thing and then she gets it first try <laughs> it yeah. opens up and then it's meant to be what is the glowing gem that they find like wow. the gem of paraxidite. Paraxidite. I yeah, believe that's right. it. Yep. It's pink. It's a glowy gemstone. Mimi claims it because she's the winner, and obviously it's mm-hmm. got to be hers because she won a crazy ball. She's a crazy ball champ. And also, she's a she's a big bully. Let's not lie here. Oh yeah. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's talk about Mimi, shall mm-hmm. we? Props to the actress. She yeah, got she was awesome. Park. Nita Jose Hannah. Props to you, girl. You knocked it out of the park. When I first watched this, this is my third time watching this movie. So obviously, I'm pretty fond of it. I'll be honest, I didn't like her the very first time I watched this. I thought, man, they're really, like, making this character to be, like, a huge jerk. She's not really likable. She's funny. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's the difference, right? Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of comic relief, but she is the driving comic relief. Mm-hmm. throughout the entire movie she's not made or written to be this empathetic character to a degree she's just this polar opposite of what we think kids are and how they're portrayed usually in movies like she's like a total jerk totally self-obsessed and you know apathetic towards everyone around her you don't want to you don't want to know her in real life <laughs> but you can enjoy watching her antics on the screen because they're not affecting you personally. (laughs) That was my guess. (laughs) I didn't know what the hell was going on the first time I watched her. I was just like, you know, okay, this, this might may or may not get old. And I ended up actually warming up to her. Uh, I had kind of an opposite reaction where I kind of related to her (laughs) (laughs) because I was kind of like that when I was little, I, I loved attention. I was a little bit of a bully to my younger brother and 
I related to her. I didn't, I didn't dislike her at all. I was just like, yep, she's an overbearing little girl. I've been there. <laughs> like, and then puberty hit and I lost all my self-esteem. It just like flew away. But yeah, as a little kid, I was super silly. I was, I wasn't like a bully per se to other kids, just to my brother, unfortunately. <laughs> if he's listening, I'm sorry. I love you, bro. We have a good relationship now. So, <laughs> but uh, I related to her. I she made she me think awesome. of you, actually, and I don't know why. <laughs> I was she is like she is a lot to take in. Uh, I don't think you're anywhere near on that level, but for some reason, I was like Jenny. I don't know. She's a little kid. She she can get away with that. She is a little kid. She's and she is she's like straight up like uh, Dave said. She's apathetic. She's mean. Mm. She's a, a bully, but she's not like how you typically see a little girl portrayed either. Yeah. She's. She's like no other character I've perhaps seen because even if you are like a bully, they usually show some kind of weakness. Or even if you are mm. like the protagonist, there's usually some kind of sweetness or something there. And she kind of doesn't have it until like the very end is like a smidge. It's so then. small. You get the <laughs> smallest little apology from her and that's it. <laughs> so begrudging and completely forgotten seconds later. She is unique as hell. And, uh, you know. And I love it. The pigtails that she's got going. Super mm -hmm. long pigtails. Yeah. Like, adds everything. Her her whole wardrobe was perfect for her. It's all, like, super little kid, but, like, tough kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She don't take no shit. She's in love with Alistair, who turns into the giant brain. <laughs> her oh, her poor love interest. It's so funny. <laughs> like... It's That's so like her funny. only soft spot, and it's not even yeah. that soft. She she has all these moments of sass, which is great. Like the camera will just kind of cut to her, and she'll just do like these fling of her pigtails, <laughs> mm -hmm. and have all these like dramatic reactions. Mm -hmm. And like with Alistair, like that's the only time like you see her, uh, like I, slightly, I think, slightly like, tempered. Be, yeah, <laughs> I think it was. Um, they're at the dinner table. This is jumping ahead a little bit, but. Uh, and Alistair's eating dinner with uh, her and her mom and dad and her brother. And uh, the mom goes, oh, it's so great to have you, Alistair. And then the camera cuts. And it's me and me going, yes, very great to have you. And it's just <laughs> like so good because it's just so opposite of what we've seen prior. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just wonderful. I, I mean, I, to that point, too, I think late, for me, her most redeeming quality was later in the film when he is a brain. <laughs> He's just a giant brain. And she still says that she's going to marry him. <laughs> yeah. And she kisses him. You know, she she kisses yes. this giant monster brain. It's beautiful. He asks, will I ever be normal again? <laughs> she says, I love you just the way you are and kisses his brain. And he crawls I love the, field. the kids' awkwardness. Like, they're not, you know, written like, you know, a big budget Hollywood film. Like, kids just being kids. Like, it's... They are awkward. They're weird. They're like it's. I don't know. I think their writing is really, really good for the kids for their quirky personalities. And I did. I got it on Blu-ray. I think it was the last of all of us to watch it. And we bought the Blu-ray before we even watched it because all of our friends raved about it so hard. So I ended up watching it twice now. And I watched the special features the first time. And it was like interviews with the whole cast and the two kids that play Luke and Mimi are like so put together, so smart. And I was just like, all right, because I kind of needed that too, maybe just to kind of figure out these characters because they're just so bizarre. Like, is this how they're written? Is this how they were acted? And 
it was obviously this is what they were going for is just so over the top and intense so it makes me respect the characters and those young actors a lot because it's just a lot that they did and smart like to do to do that Mimi seems like uh the actress that played her seems like just a smart put together kid who's just doing a job so I'm like hey she did a great job she played this insane character so well Mm. Yeah, and on the second and third time, I actually, like, really started to love Mimi. Good, because you're I... marrying her. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Uh, but then it's also, when we streamed it, I don't know if this is the same experience for other people, but the audio was a real, little weird. Like, you know, we had a hard time hearing some of the dialogue. So the more I watched it, the more I would pick up on her, on her quick wit and her witty banter and her lines are just fantastic like that first like third of the movie where it's just like her and her brother luke they're just going back and forth and she is just so on point it's it's hilarious and then when we watched it again on blu-ray where you know the uh, the mix was a lot better uh it was just coming in a lot more and it was just like okay you know this redeems the apathy that uh, you know i was the harshness i was sensing before because at first that's all I was getting, but then I would get like all the, all the wit and the sarcasm, and it just made it all better. Hmm. But yeah, so Mimi in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> so she takes the jewel of parasodite, this glowing pink orb, uh, puts it in her uh, overalls pocket, and then they go to sleep. Uh, and then we meet the parents. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh man. If there was one character that's unredeemable, uh, it is that dad. He comes in very lightly and then he slowly gets yes. ramped up throughout the movie. Like, first you think, because they're tucking everyone away, and then Luke asks uh, the dad, I guess, and the mom too. He's in bed. He's like, Dad, do monsters exist? <laughs> <laughs> And he has the best slide. He goes, well, son, technically humanity is the real monster. (laughs) (laughs) He's telling his like 10 year old kid, (laughs) tucking him in. Tucking him in at night. And then the the mom comes in with the the recovery and she's like, what your genius dad is trying to say. That just plants the seed to how much of a winner (sighs) this dad is. The parents are just as bizarre as the children. And I just kind of thought like, they're kind of weird, but are they like just kind of like fun hipster parents but as it goes you're like i don't think that's what's happening anymore this is not a healthy relationship (laughs) but this scene is kind of cute like they do seem like a cute little family unit they're tucking the kids in the kids are doing the morse code between each other knocking on the walls which i thought was cute i did that with my brother for sure i was gonna say siblings who are close probably had something similar like that if you had in a mimi move i actually um Whenever we got grounded, it would be like, oh, we can't talk. We can't play. And so I got a screwdriver and I went all the way through the wall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> my mother was enraged. Enraged. Nice. Yeah, I went all the way through my drywall of my room into my brother's room. And uh, we made a hole that we could like put notes through and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was pretty badly grounded after that. 
What are they going to do? Make you stay in your room even more? You're going to put more holes in the wall? <laughs> it just extended. And I don't even know. We were pretty spoiled kids. So <laughs> I kind of got away. I could get, could have got away with murder, to be honest. But yeah. Well, speaking of Morse code, um, they're doing the Morse code between the walls, uh, Mimi and Luke. And then the mom interrupts them mm. saying, go to bed. <laughs> that was great. That was nice. It's great because they cut to her knocking on the wall, the mom, and then she goes back to bed. And then the friggin' dad, his face is just like a mix of confusion and <laughs> why did you wake me knocking on the wall? It's, uh, it's just such a great setup for what a, what a dink he turns out to be, mm. uh, which I guess we can get to momentarily. But so, okay. So we introduced the family unit. Everyone's great. Cue the shoe factory, right? And then we introduce... Mr. PG himself, and there's like a bunch of, and then the, this is when the gore starts to happen. This is um, it, his name's not PG yet. It's the Archduke of Nightmares. Thank you. Archduke of Nightmares. <laughs> well, that's what some people call him. He doesn't right? have a name. Yet. He doesn't have a name. Yeah, it's even has, better. He goes by many things. Mm, um, yes. So the Archduke of Nightmare peer to these shifty-looking types. I think they just robbed an old man's house. They did. Um, they it were set up to hate these people immediately. They're bantering about, oh, why'd you steal this? Oh, well, he fought really hard for it. And that they do imply that they've killed him as well. So we're like, okay, if these people die, we don't care. Exactly. Which is good because they do real fast right after that. (laughs) But one of the guys, he, um, to hit home that this is not a kid's movie, he says, and I quote, suck my dick, asshole, amongst the banter that they have. (laughs) So then the Archduke of Nightmares appears to these pathetic pieces of humanity and how does he appear what does he look like <laughs> that's a good how, question katron how to describe this how do you I, describe if you have not seen anything about this movie if how? you've seen the power rangers film and you've seen ivan ooze mm. he's kind of ivan oozy yep with a little bit of pinhead hellraiser for kids yeah mm. not for kids yes but yeah, Cenobite for kids, for not not for kids, but yeah. If Pinhead had shoulder pads, yeah. Well, I mean, even beyond Psycho Gorman, there's a ton of Hellraiser in this movie. Hello, Hellraiser Love and other homage from the filmmakers. The, there's there's pieces of face on the crowd, and there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's like the body part pile. Someone gets turned into a cube of meat. Mm, yes, they do. A pulsating. And all of his... Pulsing, yes, yeah. All, which is Videodrome-esque, too. Yes, yes. Everything Psycho Gorman says is very, could be said in the same cadence. And he's got that, that effect to his voice, too, just like Pinhead. So, let's, bravo. Yeah, let's talk about that effect for a second, because it is beautiful. We have, we have a surround sound system, and any time PG talks, the, the subwoofer just rumbles. It's just all bass. <laughs> in his voice and it is it's beautiful like regardless he could be outside be reminiscing about you know his past and it's just always on bass it's just yeah and he even has cenobites which we'll meet later on oh right yeah. like he has was it he has his own set of it's the palatins yeah um, paladins yeah. of obsidian obsidian yes the fucking names in this is just so good. Right. Clive Barker could have written that stuff. And it's, it is, it's very much an homage to all of it. And that you've kind of pulled it all out and threw it in this Power Ranger-esque budget slash with kids. Like it's hilarious. That's the biggest joke is 
look at this purple pinhead guy hanging out with these kids. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> that's, right. that's like Hugo Man in a sentence. Some of his quotes are just pure perfection and they make my heart sing. Oh, what does Alistair say? He's like, Oh, it was nice to meet you. <laughs> be, and then Psycho Gorman comes back. It would be nicer if you were dead. <laughs> yes. Uh, Every time he goes into a flashback to tell a story of his times before, because the kids do eventually ask him, where are you from? What are you? And there are these flashbacks to these horrible landscapes and terrible worlds. And his dialogue is just great. He's saying everything in that deep voice. I think the f- I've gotten mm-hmm. some of these written down. One of them is uh, a tale bathed in the blood of a million dead memories. <laughs> so he starts his first flashback, sitting down on the couch in the shoe factory, talking to the kids. With these kids, like on the ground in front of them, very stereotypical story time. <laughs> and the kids are, they don't react to it as you think an adult might. The kids are just like looking somewhere else. Oh, this is boring. Oh, you're using too many big words. And if you were to try to get kids scared with a story like this, I don't know if you could. It just makes it mm-hmm. seem so ridiculous in a yeah. monstrosity. I feel like Psycho Gorman should have been a Guar band member. Um, <laughs> Definitely. That's a good way to describe him as well. Yes. Yeah. Everything he says is straight out of like war lyrics, death metal lyrics, something <laughs> in that genre. It's just beautiful. While we're still at the shoe factory, going back to his first appearance, right? Uh, no name, Archduke of Nightmares, perhaps meets these shady bunch of guys. He speaks some language we don't know. And then uh, the guy is just like, who the fuck are you guy? And then he goes, oh, this is some variation on the Salaxian tongue. How primitive. And then he proceeds to explode two out of the three dudes' heads. <laughs> With telekinetic purple magic of some kind. Some purple rain magic. I'm going to keep the Prince references going every episode. I think that Please, that's yeah. mandatory. And so explodes their heads. And then the third guy is like, I don't want to die. And he goes, well, how about you live forever? And then he turns him. We don't see in the scene, but then a few scenes later, we find out that he just freezes the guy in place where he's in constant pain and his eyeballs are constantly spinning in his sockets. Which I'm sure Pinhead has done to somebody mm. at least once <laughs> in his dark eternal life. And then, yeah, the kids, that's the part you were talking about, Mike, when the kids like push him over and he explodes and his whole face yeah. is splattered on the floor. And then he's, his mouth talks. He's like, thank you. <laughs> so good. The reason why he's not murdering the kids, for those of you who haven't watched this and are wondering, why is this murderous beast hanging out with these kids all nonchalant? Well, Whatever that jewel, that pink glowing jewel that Mimi and her brother found actually controls Mr. Duke of Archduke of Nightmares. And so he has to do everything that they say as long not, as. Not them. Mimi. Just not Mimi. them. Mimi. Yeah. As the control, which is part of the whole problem. <laughs> <laughs> the hilarity ensues. Yes. They wake up the next morning. Parents find said hole. The dad has a great quote here. As mm-hmm. the whole family's staring at this gigantic hole in the ground, the father puts his arm around Luke and says, first of all, great job on the hole, son. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. Like, what parent would say that if you've destroyed the backyard? 
there he is congratulating the kid. Uh, and then they debate over who's going to fill in the hole. And we do see the dad like have a curious thing where everybody votes for dad. Dad says, well, I vote for all of you. And they're like, yeah, that's not going to not going to fly. So he tries to shovel and then gets a splinter. Oh, my hand, I can't do it. And the mom brings him away. So the kids are left with this gaping hole. Which I don't think ever gets filled, right? No, mom fills it. Oh, mm -hmm. does she fill it? Yeah. Because mm. the kids don't. Dad certainly <laughs> won't. So she ends up doing it at some point. Off screen. And, and little do we know, that's the first hint where dad goes from funny to that's kind of a dick move you're still kind of yes, like okay he's quirky whatever and then he just progressively gets worse at that yeah. point i thought he was just doing it to make the kids do it he was just pretending to hurt himself because mm. he didn't even scoop like one thing of dirt nope he was mm. like oh ow, i can't do it Wah. but and i that must be intentional i feel like it's got to be where they kind of throw the curveball where he's not what he appears to be. I can't tell. I really can't tell in this movie how I'm supposed to feel at various times. I did see it twice, and the second time I'm like, well, I know now. But when I first saw it, I was like, I didn't, I didn't know yet. <laughs> yeah, the mom, the mom has the cojones in this relationship for sure. She has the cojones, the pants, and everything else. As does the daughter. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Strong women. Poor Luke. <laughs> it's also a running gag that uh, PG does not remember his name at all. And it's so funny. Yeah. It's very yeah. <laughs> Luke's like, you should know my name by now. He's like, yes, Mimi, Susan, Greg. And he calls him boy, which at first I was like, boy. oh, is that a Phantasm reference? Absolutely. They, they recreate the dream sequence um, very well mm. from the first Phantasm. <laughs> so presumably, uh, Psycho Gorman escaped from this hole that they dug up, right? They see some like claw marks, which the dad thinks, oh, maybe a hobo tried to jump over <laughs> it in the night and fell in. That was his theory. And the mom's like, or maybe it's raccoons. And then the dad goes, that doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> Because yes. a, a, a quote wino stumbling in the hole after hopping the fence is totally more plausible. The kids already think monsters, and I'm not entirely sure why, because they just thought monsters as soon as they found the gemstone. And I don't think there was any real evidence of kids. monsters. I guess, yeah. Hey man, I always assume monsters for everything. Thunderstorm, monsters. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Toilet true. not flushing, monsters. <laughs> Out of Doritos, monsters you know they, they were right anyway so i'm not gonna mm. press too hard on that it's very much like a pete and pete logic like for those that remember the adventures of pete and pete from nickelodeon where it's just like they take the kid logic and storytelling and then they just ground it in reality and make mm. it plausible like no one asks any questions it's just taken as straight fact you know i love it for that because it just makes it so much more fantastical and fun so they, so Psycho Gorman escapes, Dad's too lazy to fill the hole. I think they follow the tracks to the shoe factory, right? And then we find out the stipulation of the glowing jewel of peroxidite, and, and then hilarity just ensues. And then they, they realize that they have this control, and they have to think of a name. And they think of some great zingers. Oh, they do. 
Because he says, I don't have a name, but I've been called the Archduke of Nightmares. And Mimi says, that's stupid. We're going to name you something else. <laughs> so her and Luke do some workshopping, which is exactly Mimi's words. We're going to workshop this. And mm. they do. <laughs> I believe the very first one she throws out is Dinosaurus Flex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I've got Rex Thor Thundrax, I think is what Luke comes back with. And then they started talking so fast I missed a bunch. But I know Rip Lord is in there. And also Dark Lord of Wonderful Smooches. Yes! <laughs> to which PG says, I would never respond to such a name. <laughs> oh, which I want to be my screen name forever now. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but then they do eventually hit on Psycho Goreman, uh, PG for short. Mm. Which is a hybrid of Psycho Man and Goreman. Uh, which Mimi and Luke think of separately. Uh, mm -hmm. And Mimi, being the genius that she is, combines them together. And I can't help but feel like the, the shortening of the name to PG, that's got to be like a nod to all of the PG movies back in the day, which don't really get made anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and before PG-13 existed too, PG was just kind of what you got anyway. But it, I think that's kind of what they're going for. This movie is sort of a PG story with like extra gore. It's something that kids would like as much as adults. And I think that's kind of what maybe PG was for, is just a nod to be like, hey, this appeals to both. Yeah. But maybe you don't let what, some of your kids watch it. Depends on your family. <laughs> yeah, I watched a bunch of the extras, but I don't know if it's one of those situations where you thought it'd be funny to call something PG and it not being it, mm -hmm. and then probably worked backwards from there. He being uh, the director. Uh, was it Steve Kostansky? So I imagine that was the case. But remind me, back in the day, there was PG and then there was R and then there was NC-17, right? Or X. Or X. It was X, yeah. yeah. And G, of course. And G. Oh, and G, yeah. So wait, uh, so was there still R back in yeah. the day? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. That's fascinating. It wasn't until Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, that, that heart grab. That was too much for kids. The entirety of the United States decided. So then they had to invent PG-13 because PG was just too vague. <laughs> so anything before that, if you see a PG, you can't necessarily trust it. That was my favorite part of that movie. So uh... That's right. Not surprising. Very good. <laughs> my, intro, my intro to gore. Probably for a lot of people, yeah. yeah. I've seen that one more than any other Indiana Jones. Not because it's my favorite, but it's just been the most accessible in my life. It's Every probably thumb. my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my favorite too. And it definitely saw it when you were a kid. There's a kid character you oh, have yeah. to follow through the whole thing. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Who is um who's the guy from the Goonies, right? Yeah. Same kid. No. I think so, no? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Short round. Okay. Short round. It's the same yeah. actor. Mm-hmm. Where are they now? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I wonder where are they now from all all of my favorite movies when I was younger. Well, I know where Harrison Ford is now, but... <laughs> Grumpy. Everybody else. Grumpy, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Like, he, at this point, it's already, he wants to kill these kids so bad. Because they are all, mm -hmm. like, just so annoying. They're kids. And um, Mimi's very intense. And Luke is very killable. So he wants to kill these kids so hard. And it's already the start of the joke of he wants to kill everything. And they're going, nope, you could do what I say. Uh, and I believe he does say you will suffer an eternity for this. 
to the kids, to which I'm sure Mimi responds, I don't care, whatever. <laughs> go watch TV. Or just flat out ignores him. Yeah. Eventually she makes him just go like sit in the corner overnight. <laughs> yeah, I think she she does just say go sit. <laughs> and then she's like, sorry, we didn't bring your pornos. <laughs> oh yeah, when they come back and bring the TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what did she just say? <laughs> <laughs> I had to rewind it. I was like, what? Didn't bring hunky boy. Oh, yeah. So we get the hunky time. boy quote. That is so good. So good. She hands mm-hmm. him like the muscular boy magazine, whatever the hell that is. I think it was just a regular magazine with like an underwear. It was ad just an ad. Yeah. It was like an underwear cologne ad or something. And he says something like, oh, this useless display of wealth. And Mimi's like, oh, but there's hunky boys in it. And he says, I care not for hunky boys. Then there's a pause and he stares. And then he says, or do I? (laughs) It's just so perfect. And it comes back later too, right? When he has that Mm -hmm. ultimate showdown with Pandora. We'll probably get into because there's a whole bunch of, dare we say, almost as evil as Mr. Gorman characters out there who want to get their revenge. Yeah, that's this is kind of right where it happens, right? When he's done hanging out with the kids, you get the scene that goes right to Rita Repulse's castle. Looks just exactly the same over <laughs> on planet Gygax, where the Templars are in control. And you do see this table full of a whole bunch of different odd-looking alien characters. So good. The character design is just amazing. I want to show with just them. Yes, like please. Spin-off. It's yes. their story. So funny. I want action figures. I want a chess set yeah. with all Ooh, of them. Chess set. Well, yeah. I have in my notes here that this is like the most marketed merchandising movie of like a, a B kind of cult horror movie that I've seen in a long time. If you go to Plastic Meatball, you will find everything you could ever dream about in merchandising for this movie. And when we first saw it, Dave, we thought it was like a joke, but it's it's real life. And I think it's sold out. Isn't everything it's all sold, sold out? out. Yeah. They didn't expect yeah, they have, people to want it. They have pint glasses. They have Frig Off the Board Game. They have uh, Bop Bags. They have the Crazy Ball set, Championship League Edition. They have puzzles. They have door hangers, pajamas, freaking toothbrushes with all of the characters on them. Bedding, beach balls, glasses, you name it. It's like beautiful. It's like what they used to do in the 80s and 90s, which they don't really do much anymore. It's like G.I. Joe and Transformers and all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The funny thing is like the company Plastic Meatball, they went on Twitter and everyone was like, why is everything sold out? Is this all a joke? And they're like, no, we didn't think you actually wanted all of these And so they sold out in like under five minutes and then they were asking people what they wanted back. And mm-hmm. of course the answer was everything. Yeah, you can get t-shirts still, but yeah, most everything else is. I pre-ordered the action figures, so I will. Oh, you did? I will, uh, uh-huh. I will report back. I want the, the glass, the pine glasses. Those are really cool. That come in like the Happy Meal case? Yes. Yeah, pretty great. <laughs> awesome. Also, uh, before you go forward, Gygax, where they're located, probably named after Gary Gygax, the co-creator of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Whoa. Hell yeah. (laughs) His name is spelled differently than I think they spell it. In the the crawl, we forgot to mention, the very beginning of this movie is a text crawl, which is great. Homage to 
Chain- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm all on the homages, if you don't know. That's no, that's great. <laughs> the, in, it's in the font that I've seen used in a lot of like fantasy st- type stuff, too. So I, th- I believe it was spelled G-I-G-A-X. Gaiax mm. has uh, some Ys thrown in there. The, the man. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's got to be an homage to him. I haven't seen it in a while, but I think The Crawl is an homage to Kroll. Mm. Probably very similar to that, yeah. Yeah, which is another B-movie sci-fi romp, which I think is, is it based off of a book or a comic book or something like that. That's a zinger. But yeah, needless to say. The table full of misfits, there's like a lizard person, there's like a person <laughs> that looks like a pile of stuff, I don't know, like a mm. pile of spaghetti, uh, there's somebody in the very classic glass dome with like a brain and eyeballs inside and a robo He's my personal favorite very cool he's the, he's the most suicidal of the bunch yeah they they all look cool it almost looks like like maybe doctor who quality mm. a little bit under doctor who quality because you can mystery science theater you can see people's mouths move under they're like <laughs> foam costumes and it's definitely they wanted to just have that in there but they spent the time and money to put a lot of practical effects in this movie mm. which is great that there's cg too and i think it's Use very well. It's a good mishmash of both. Yeah, I love that when they pass around the um. I don't remember what they call it, but they, they have like food at the table, and it's just like green spaghetti. <laughs> I think they called it bluegill or something. I had the subtitles on the second time I watched it. Oh, that's a good idea. Subtitles weren't always correct, but mm. <laughs> it was something like that. And it was just like dyed blue spaghetti, and like oh, quit, quit hogging the blue stuff. <laughs> And he slurps it down. So good. It took me so the good. second time watching it to realize that that group of people, we are introduced to the Templars who are the good guys, but essentially the bad guys to us because we're kind of on the bad mm-hmm. guy side. And you- there are no good guys in this movie. That's no. true. <laughs> These people are kind of terrible and you can already see that. So I'm already like, well, I know they're supposed to be the good guys, but I'm not on their side at all. I think Luke is the only all around good moral character. <laughs> and he's a little boy that can really do almost nothing to like you know well he does he does stuff but you know what i mean he's a little kid (laughs) all these different aliens represent a world that has been conquered by the templars um so the you do see the main uh woman that's sitting at the table and she's like a robotic angel kind of looking thing very mecha anime type thing uh and she looks cool and beautiful and powerful Mm. Uh, and she's like, we gotta, we gotta stop that psycho gore man. Somebody has let him free. And she, she kind of looks like if Angelina Jolie was a transformer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Got like big, big Angelina Jolie lips. You said it's every world that the Templars conquered. I thought it was every world that Psycho Gorman conquered. I don't think so. I, th- I think it says that the Templars have conquered a bunch of worlds. Uh, they, they assimilate they assimilate which they've done to gygax they're not from gygax that's where psycho gorman and his people are from and it seems like this one angel lady is probably in charge pandora that's her name she's in charge of this particular planet and is the one that fought psycho gorman so i think they are on gygax at that scene and maybe they're somewhere mm-hmm. else but it's very quick dialogue like 
I'm pretty sure that's what I heard watching it the second time, but I could be wrong too. Well, whatever the case, they're gathered it together. It doesn't matter because it's awesome looking. Because it's awesome, <laughs> exactly. And then that's where Let we get the, that's where we get the the fleshy cube scene because uh, was it Pandora, mm-hmm. the leader of the Templars? You know, they find out that he's chilling. PG is chilling on Earth, and she's like, "What is the main species? Earthlings? Bring me an Earthling!" And then this floaty robot comes out. It's this beautiful piece of stop motion and it just teleports, you know, this lady and she's like, Oh, confused. And then Pandora is just like, come closer. And instead of just like, you know, hovering her gently over to her, Pandora just fucking squashes her (laughs) into a pulsing cube and then just like grabs her and then smushes her down and then rubs thick ass jam over her face and then transforms into said human lady that was just kidnapped essentially that's how i get ready in the morning too but it's a great great prep good for the pores you know keeps you young Mm -hmm. but since we talked about pandora i think now's a good time to delve into mr gorman's backstory as he tells the kids who are bored uh you know on the couch were brought to Gygax, and it's just these fantastic miniatures. Oh yeah, there's like, it's stop motion, it's CG, it's practical, like, touchable effects, and they combine them all in such a loving and happy way. It's wonderful. <laughs> in, in one of the extras, they are talking about the, uh, the guys that did all the miniature sets, and they were doing something. I think they were washing it off and they just realized how cool it looked wet. So they're like, all right, so Gygax is a planet where it always rains now. Huzzah. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, just just stuff like that that really, like, adds, you know, a human hand to That's it. That's John Carpenter. It's always wet. Perpetually, streets are wet in every John Carpenter mm. film. That's true, yeah. They maybe didn't do it on purpose, but he figured but that out it. at some point. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Just looks cooler, man. And glints, you know. So, so we find out that, you know, he was enslaved, this whole race enslaved by the, by the Templars. And he finds the jewel of Paraxidite inexplicably while he's presumably mining or something for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's in chains. He's got this, yeah, he's got this master blaster type of helmet on and he finds the jewel of Paraxidite and he's like, this would give me the power to conquer the paladins or not the paladins, but, um, Templars. The Templars, right? Uh, and then there's this great scene of him putting it inside of his chest. Like, it's like this great, like, practical zoom in where his chest rips open and it's all full of teeth. And then he puts it where his heart mm-hmm. is. And then mm-hmm. it just closes yeah, cool. up. And then he just starts to glow and kick ass. Hardcore Power Rangers mm-hmm. uh, feels from that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> He's, he's, then he takes it to the Templars. He's punching people. He's, he murders everybody that's a bad guy in his world. But then he says he didn't get a good enough taste for it yet. So he just keeps murdering throughout the galaxy. This is the yeah. story he's telling the kids when they come back to visit him with the Hunky Boy magazine. Uh, and they bring the TV for him. Yes, this is, it comes right after. So that's when we get to find out that the Templars probably aren't really good guys as it seemed (laughs) yeah they're kind of like the religious zealots of the universe right they're like Mm -hmm. order according to the templar code whatever that is yeah and so they enslave based on you know whatever uh, ideology they have and so psycho gorman's like no and not only no to you but no to everyone else because i'm just bloodthirsty Uh, (laughs) 
And it's like this uh, creates that I know, a loose theme being the Templars are light and Psycho Gorman is darkness. And so he's just trying to consume all of the light. And he, he does have his team with him. So we get like Kylo Ren, Knights of Ren with him. <laughs> uh, this is, he's got his, this is you do see and hear that he's telling you about the Knights of, oh, sorry, the Paladins of Obsidian, how he mm-hmm. gathered his team together with, I guess, some of his pals as, and they all went out and <laughs> were destroying the galaxy together. Right, like they were his generals and they just friggin' mm-hmm. just conquered worlds inexplicably. Squad goals. Exactly, mm-hmm. and they're just as colorful as the uh, Gygaxian Council. We'll, we'll talk about them when- We get uh, a better look soon. <laughs> yeah. So a very colorful story to the kids. Um, while he's telling this, I th- maybe- <laughs> <laughs> just inexplicably goes Bleh! like it just cuts hard cuts in in the middle of his story to Mimi spitting out this candy and then it's just like a pause and she goes what it tasted weird and then she just starts opening up another one and then he continues the story and that happens throughout the entire movie where he'll this is like I think the only flashback he successfully completes I think so and yes <laughs> everything else is just abruptly interrupted um one notable one is when they're eating in a diner and he is like that reminds me of the time when i was the (laughs) battle at the bridge of souls and he's riding like this fucking like motorcycle straight (laughs) out of batman or the road warriors towards this cthulhu looking thing and it's like five seconds and then it cuts to mimi just doing the schedule on her little notebook of how they're going to like play and hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How they're going to do upside down karaoke no, they're on gonna Sundays. Make, they're going to bake cakes for nine hours. <laughs> yes. Bake cakes for nine hours. Because she only had six hours originally, but then she's like, we need more time to bake cakes. So she added some more time in. I really remember that. That's I was awesome. like, that's so specific. <laughs> Stuff she gets away with. That's great. Mm-hmm. And you, you get mad at her because you're like, dude, I wanted to hear that story. <laughs> I, I want all the juicy, you know, gore fantasy and you're denied it. It's like, and oh. How is he destroy Cthulhu? Like, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to tell a really important story about your past to a child, only to just look over and they're totally not paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so true. You're like, oh, this one time when I was at the goth club, you kids won't believe. <laughs> and then they look at just like dead faces looking at phones or something. And I'm like, it's really cool. You guys. Picking their nose. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, it's just perfect. It's great kid humor. On point. It is. And it's even more heightened because he's telling a story about destroying worlds and the kids are still like, anyway. <laughs> gonna bake a cake for nine hours (laughs) that's when he gets his homework to watch tv they actually the two kids go visit him with alistair because mimi wants to show him off and they make luke carry a picture tube tv with a vcr built in the (laughs) whole way through the woods and uh he kind of asks them for help and they're like no that's okay we're fine (laughs) <laughs> like just those are those are heavy televisions if anybody mm-hmm. remembers when they're not a flat screen that's filled with a whole bunch of heavy insides mm-hmm. uh, and it's just hilarious that they make him carry it the whole way and don't help him and then leave the tv with pg to watch homework uh to be more fun is what mimi tells him <laughs> <laughs> watch tv to be more fun and then it ends up being the thing, just the thing he needed because 
apparently because energy runs through it, he can use it to uh, contact somebody. I presume it was the the Palatins. It was his generals, yeah. yeah. And tell him that he's chilling on Earth. Come help. Who got back to him so fast. I'm like, how? Like immediately. How know? is there still power at the abandoned shoe factory is another question. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to know these things. <laughs> I just love that the TV bleeds and it continues bleeding. Even when uh, the dad comes later down the line, he's like, this TV won't stop bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) All it takes is PG to touch it and it can communicate throughout the galaxy and then perpetually bleed. I just want a sequel after we know what's happening on Earth (laughs) at the end of the movie. Uh, I want to see it. I want to see Earth in Psycho Gorman's vision and just like... (laughs) That would be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I want I want like a graphic novel or something, please. This is prime for expanded universe type of stuff. It's just a matter of time. I bet you Dark mm-hmm. Horse will jump on that mm-hmm. or IDW, whichever one of those. So this, the scene after this is when Alistair comes to dinner with the kids and dad has cooked because mom was filling in the hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. So mom did fill in the hole. Dad mm-hmm. cooks dinner. Do you guys remember what dad cooks for dinner? Mm. microwaved a chicken breast (laughs) or a whole chicken yeah Uh, uh, i don't know if you've ever had microwaved meat straight up just not cooked before and then you microwave it oh my god i can only imagine (laughs) and he's proud of himself he is (laughs) proud as he puts it cooked a meal for my family and we're still not quite sure if he's kidding or not at this point um but the the microwave chicken comes back even worse later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You're like, oh, he's being silly. And then the mom is just like ready to murder him. And you're like, okay, silly, you know, back and forth banter. <laughs> you're, you're starting to, you know, really get the feels mm-hmm. for how dad is. But <laughs> I have written down here, mm-hmm. thought dad was funny. He's just a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Accurate. Concise summary for sure. Uh, so the kids are eating dinner. Alistair and Luke want to go play video games, and Mimi's unhappy that she's kind of being the odd man out. So she goes to the backyard to play, but she doesn't want to play alone. And who does she invite? She calls her new Just friend. <laughs> her brand new friend, and I guess slave, Psycho Gorman. And then this is the first time he's in the yard after he's escaped. Then he gets lost. <laughs> He gets lost. He, um, <laughs> what's the banter? I got it. I think I got it. Mimi is like, what took you so long? Uh, and he says, time is a construct for beings that can't access the ninth dimension. And also I got lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that from now on. I think with, when I'm late for work. I think there's uh, a paraphrase, but yeah, that's, that was his excuse. And then the mom cleaning up after the dad's masterpiece of culinary arts. Because it's oh, still in the microwave, just an exploded chicken carcass. Smoking. You can t- <laughs> visibly Blackened. see smoke coming out of the microwave. And then she's like, what did you do? And he's like, I cooked a meal for my family, damn it. <laughs> and then they like pan in. He's like, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's like upset that she's not appreciative of his culinary skills. And leaving the mess, yeah. And then she looks out the window, the mom, and she reacts appropriately so at uh, Psycho Gorman. And she 
she fucking runs out with a bat and then smacks him on the bicep and breaks the bat and he is unfazed. And then soon after, not missing a beat, the dad comes in and he's like, no, my lucky bat! <laughs> yes. He's freaking out and he doesn't notice PG for like a good 10 seconds. Yeah. He's just so worried about that bat. And then he's just like, oh no! And they both fall <laughs> over. Luke and Alistair were actually already out there first. And that's when Alistair gets transformed into the brain monster thing. Because Mimi says it's something about wanting to play with him and he won't. And Psycho Goreman says, well, you know, I've once helped someone seduce the moon princess of some place. And he could use his dark magic to uh, make him more compliant. And Mimi's like, okay. <laughs> then he gets transformed into a brain blob with eyes stuck in it and little tendril hands. And that's and that's what happens. That's that makes him more compliant, I guess. And there's like great scenes with him throughout the movie. I think when they're outside the diner, he's just chilling, like by yeah. the outside by the exit, waiting for them to finish eating because they wouldn't let him in. You know, couldn't fit through the door. I don't know. Was it the other scene at the end of the movie, like uh, almost a post-credit sequence where it's we finally see Alistair's parents, and they're just you know, dinner's ready. They're eating salad. Mom calls Alistair in, and they're completely like unfazed as we see this brain hop into the into the dining room and onto the chair, and then he's just like like tendriling this salad. <laughs> I can't tell if his parents don't notice because they don't ever really look at him directly. Mm. They're looking elsewhere, like at the TV or at the newspaper or something. So I don't know if, if it's supposed to be they don't notice. Because I was thinking, there's a whole montage right after this with the kids hanging out with PG, because once mom freaks out, Mimi explains, it's okay, I control him with this magic stone. <laughs> and they go, okay. Let's have a dance montage. Perfect montage. montage. Mm. Yes. They try on they try on clothes, they play in a band. What else do they do? Speaking of the band, I love how I caught it this last time I watched it where they're about to start and Psycho Gorman is too early on the drums and Mimi just turns around and shoots <laughs> daggers at him. <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> Right. So just randomly, as soon as she's like, Mom, it's cool, then we just see them the we see Luke on guitar, Mimi is singing, Psycho Cormance in the back on drums, and then Alistair the Brain is on keyboard. And mm -hmm. they start playing a song, and this is the song running through the montage of them hanging out together. Uh, and some of the lyrics, which are wonderful. I'm the heckin' best, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frig all the rest. Frig off, frig yourself. <laughs> F-R-I-G. I sing it on the daily now, pretty much. It's stuck in it's my head. It's stuck now. in your head. It gets, it's wicked catchy. It's going to be my uh, <laughs> stomach tattoo. Instead of thug life, it's going to be afraid <laughs> off. Frig the, off. The, the whole joke here is they're kids and they don't swear. And they do tell Psycho Gorman that frig is a really cool swear and you can use it in all these different ways. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's what kids say. Did anybody say that to avoid swearing or your parents maybe trying to not swear around you or something like that? All the time. I have a coworker now who's in his 60s and he uses that word constantly. <laughs> Does anybody know what that word means? <laughs> Frig. Yeah, it's, it's not just a placeholder oh, for the F-U-C-K word. Oh, no. Oh, dear. All right, well, I've read Marquis de Sade, so I know what it means. 
So frigging is basically a great start. By the way, that is a great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I just I'm... just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, to freak is basically to like masturbate. It's it's just another sexy word, but most specifically like hand stuff. I think. So wow. With that frame, I was like, oh, these people do not know what frig means. <laughs> so, is, that where, is that where friggin' in the riggin' comes from? Probably. Friggin' in the riggin'. If you friggin did, like, a Google search to find the uh, definition for frig, it'll give you, like, oh, you know, it's like a mild swear. And then underneath that, masturbation, though. So, uh, <laughs> with that frame, it wow. ruins the whole, like, cute kid for me. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. These kids are talking about the masturbating now. I can't think about Thanks, Katron. Thank you. Allow me and the Marquis de Sade to ruin this for you. <laughs> Definitely people were getting frigged in that book, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, so, among this, <laughs> among, this, anyway. among this friggin' montage, we have... Um, friggin' montage. We have Psycho Gorman trying on different outfits. It's so funny. Right, and it's like the mom and Mimi just chilling on. Uh, the mom is part of it, yes, which is great. And the outfits he tries on, you know, he's wearing a beret, great sunglasses, um, <laughs> trying on different he comes, stuff. He comes out in like like a war outfit, basically, with like shoulder pads. He looks like he's in a metal band, and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> nah, nah. I was like, that was the best one. <laughs> and then he ends up dressed up, and this is post this is a little later where he he dresses up like um sam neil from jurassic park <laughs> i wrote it down that, that's the exact same thing that i was thinking it's gotta be he's got the bandana on and everything everything mm-hmm. the hat and what's great is that like he has these built-in shoulder pads they're part of his you know skin structure and when he puts on the sam neil outfit they're completely gone <laughs> it's completely disappeared. Normal show. He still has his spikes in the back. They stick out of his shirt, they though. Do. Still got yep. the spikes. He, he managed to mm. cram, you know, tuck and roll not a bunch of his body parts for that outfit. So good on him. I think you see the dad stealing some cookies that they baked. Oh, it's like, yeah. oh, poor man, like his hands come out of the cookies and grab the dad's face. Just a bunch of cute little. The bake sale cookies because the dad is a douche. Yep, it was bake sale. It did say it on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm glad we watched it again. We watched it um, on streaming uh, the first time around, and then we got the Blu-ray, and it's just like, oh, so much better detail. We can make out those fine moments. Absolutely. And it, nice. it does end right at the diner where you see Psycho Gorman eating fries <laughs> like a horrible monster creature that he is. He, like, unhinges and extends his bottom jaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just Which gave me fries. so much joy so much joy to watch that <laughs> and then we find out that to be eaten is considered a warrior's death yes which is important to note because that comes in <laughs> at least two more times later on and it is it is glorious i wonder what wharf would have to say about that mm-hmm. would a wharf like just to bring the track in As long as you're dying in battle, right? That's all that matters. Yeah, I guess. As long as you're being eaten on the battlefield. (laughs) And you do see that this is where some of the seeds start to be planted from Psycho Goreman looking at Luke, and he knows that Luke is the weak link here. And if there's Mm -hmm. any way for him to get out of this, he can try to get to Luke because Mimi's being extra mean. She's taking his fries. She's just being herself. I still do that to my brother. See, if it works, you're not going to stop. 
Right. So he like talks to Luke in his dreams, which is where we get that great Phantasm-esque sequence <laughs> where Luke's just in bed and he's surrounded by these uh, crawling corpses coming out of graves. Who don't really make it very far. No, no, they don't. <laughs> like they got that great scene where they bargain and Luke's just like, no. And then PG's like, oh, you're stronger than I thought. And they're like, well, what do we do now? And he's like, we wait for this dream to end. And then it just holds <laughs> on the long shot of all these writhing corpses. While they're like looking away awkwardly. Yeah. Luke's like, whole thing is that, well, Mimi found the gem and finders keepers. Finders keepers. That's the law. <laughs> <laughs> Psycho Gorman can't argue with that, but does say, you know, he, does he trust his sister to protect him? And he's sort of like, well, no, I don't. So he's like, yeah, think about that kid. Yeah, he plants that seed. Mm-hmm. Does any way for him to get out of this horrible torture that is being under Mimi's, Mimi's control? That's, that's oh. going to be it. So then they are, is this when they go play basketball? <laughs> or no, crazy yeah, ball. He's got, he's got his new outfit. His Sam Neill yeah. outfit. Yeah. They're about to play yeah, crazy to the, ball. They go to the school. At the basketball court. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And you see there's Brain Alistair, the two kids, and Psycho Goreman dressed horrifically uh, as the Sam Neill character. <laughs> and Mimi is attempting to teach everyone that doesn't know how to play crazy ball. And Psycho Goreman is like, this is, this, these rules make no sense because it's child rules. Of course, they don't make any sense. And while they're standing there, uh, that's when the police show up because why would you not call the cops on those people? And no good comes of this. Uh, so we get two police on the scene and they're, I don't know if they even managed to fire off gunshot or not but they're they just start shooting with the kids in the fucking background they like lose their minds i'm like you're shooting at kids oh my god Uh, but there's a big monster there and then he he looks back and he's like i should have let them kill you (laughs) (laughs) but he doesn't yeah he doesn't no and the police are not uh impressing psycho gorman at all so he he grabs one of them and just melts him (laughs) like he grabs him by the gun hand melts the gun into his hand and then melts his entire body which is a but he's still alive great homage to videodrome yeah it's horrifying and the kids are just watching like (laughs) and he he is like super scary looking (laughs) that police officer is my favorite character in the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) he's great he's so horrible looking but he's melted and he is now kind of like a husk. I think, right, PG calls him like a, a brainless husk. Yeah, he's like that, that mm-hmm. brainless husk is only telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> because Mimi's like, oh, good. Now we have enough players for Crazy Ball. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, they just start trying to play Crazy Ball with this poor suffering police officer. <laughs> all melted and gross. And then they go. They go to the woods with him, right? Like, yeah, they go to the woods. Yeah. And then, like, he gives Mimi this card. It's in the shape of a heart. It's a pink <laughs> heart. And he's just like, oh, a card for me. And then she opens it. And it just says, please kill me, written in blood. 
<laughs> and he's he's running all around and making noise. He's randomly shooting, shooting the gun. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to shoot himself and it doesn't work. <laughs> Either like yes. I, I don't think he can get his like arm up enough. <laughs> and the only one that that really cares that he's shooting is Luke because he keeps ducking and everybody else is so nonchalant about him. <laughs> so funny. So good. And I think Mimi even complains like I told you guys to write me love letters and this is not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't oh the heart God. shape though. It just yeah. blood. <laughs> to which the kids ignore too. They just promptly ignore. Mm. He just had that in his pocket. Just to write a love letter to someone randomly down the line. <laughs> Before he was melted. No. All cops just keep a please kill me <laughs> Valentine in the back of their pocket. <laughs> we have this whole discussion about love now because PG does not understand this concept. The kids have to let him know what it is. And no, it's not when you rip out somebody's spine and hold it in front of their loved ones. <laughs> not that tingly feeling you get, but something that you get from like family. And, you know, that's, that may come into play later. In the background, mm-hmm. there's the cop trying to shoot his brains out. <laughs> because you got to balance it. Uh, and that's when Mimi actually orders Psycho Goreman to kill Luke because he says something to piss her off. And she's like, okay, kill him. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he gets, gets his hands around the kid and she says, okay, stop. I was just kidding. And then, like, Psycho Gorman and Luke do a little, like, hmm? Mm-hmm. Didn't I say? Didn't I say? So it's at this point that um, the yeah, Palatins of Obsidian appear. Mm-hmm. And PG has not the most uh, appealing introduction for Mimi and and the boy <laughs> whose name he can't remember. I think uh, he calls them brainless meat children or something. Like yes, that. he calls them the brainless meat children who freed me. Orders them to kill them. And then they just Orders laugh. They're like, we like it better this way. And what a cast of characters we have for our paladins. My God, man. There's the um, giant septic tank of body parts, man. Voiced by Rich Evans from Red Letter Media. If anyone's a fan of that YouTube channel. Oh, I have that as a meat grinder washing machine. With, there you go. With blood yep. spray. With blood spray, <laughs> with blood which spray. is the most awkward part. Because he's just spraying PG and it just gets really weird. <laughs> well, because if you really did just squirt blood at somebody, it doesn't hurt you. It's just kind of no. gross. So. It's just like a weird wet t-shirt moment thing. And you're like, ah. <laughs> There's a, a robot Roman kind of looking dude. His name is Cassius 3000 and he's got a little parrot on his shoulder. Very <laughs> steampunk. Makes me think of um, the movie with the robot owl, the 70s movie. Oh. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Titans. Oh, Thank you. Yes. Yeah, totally. A little totally. Nod to that. Dark Scream is the guy with the crown who's like the lead general. Witchmaster, my personal favorite. Who speaks Japanese She's... inexplicably. <laughs> she she is so creepy looking. She's... First time I saw her, I was like, no, no. <laughs> She's got like a doll looking kind of face. Yeah, this... that's like set sunken into this black hood. Yeah. It's just like, oh. <sighs> And there's somebody else, and I don't think they say their name. I didn't catch the it. wood, the wood lady, the tree lady. She's she's covered in tombstones, and she throws them. <laughs> I thought she was just throwing rocks, but no, she's oh, she's she's, she's, she's like a cemetery tree lady. Yeah, yeah I guess so. And she has a flower within her, like folds that he pulls out, and then she just explodes into a poof. 
Yeah, so they, they're not, they just laugh at PG when he asks them to help because all of his generals have something going with the Templars where they're, mm-hmm. they're like, well, we're in charge now. You weren't the best boss. We'll do whatever we want. They don't kill the kids. Instead, they start attacking Psycho Gorman. Right. Very badly. Who can't fight because Mimi's pissed that he tried mm-hmm. to have them killed. So she's like, you're not fighting anything. You're going to let them beat you like and wet noodles. <laughs> just like tiny little baby hits and the blood spray that's ineffective. It's just very funny until Psycho Gorman is... He apologizes. Mimi forces him to apologize and mean it. And he does. And then he just kills them all. <laughs> and what a return to form Psycho Gorman has. Because he doesn't just fucking clean house. He destroys everything. And I think during the shuffle, he also kills our melted cop friend. He does. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't even notice that I don't until think this time around. He did it. I think it was one of the the minions. I thought he did. Stabbed him with something and his like whole little body just kind of like just deflated like a balloon. Like, deflated, yeah. I really I really thought it was PG. I thought he like stuck him in the eyes and then exploded his head, but we'll have to go back and watch it. Yeah. Now I'm curious. Like he was just so happy to kill. He was, didn't really care. He was just killing everything, yeah. yeah. I don't think it was him, but yeah, it's such a quick scene that I'm not sure. Yeah, but he clears house in a glorious fashion and then what was the lead palace and Dark Scream. Dark gets, scream. gets actually, a warrior's death. Gets a warrior's mm-hmm. death. But actually, right before that, Cassius 3000 gets a little little monologue of his own, right? Psycho Gorman mm-hmm. shows him his reflection in the puddle, and he's like, where darkness lies in ourselves. And he's like, I think I understand now. And then a fucking claw comes right out of there, which is a great reference to uh, Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Or just comes up and then rips the guy's face off. Eyeballs hanging out. Mm. So good. Living up to the Gorman, the movie's name. And then Dark Scream. Dark Scream's like, no, don't do it. As PG says, I will give you a warrior's death. And he knows what that means. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of cuts away and you just see like blood splashing everywhere. He's vomiting up blood and pieces of a body. It is so gross. And the kids are just like, ugh, like squinting in the background. His jaw is like the size of a, of a kite. It is just <laughs> huge. His, yeah. It's... And you just see him just like and then it just it always cuts to Mimi and Luke's reaction and Mimi is just loving every second of it. <laughs> While Luke is like almost like to tears and gonna throw up. And then Mimi's right next to him being like, this is so cool. And I think before that, during the fight, the kids, it does cut to the kids once and they're just both eating granola bars, just kind of like waiting for it to end. Because <laughs> at this point they're so desensitized, but f- I guess the eating is finally like maybe a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. We do find out there's a scene that happens right before this where we see that the Templar Pandora has gotten to earth. She shows up at the police station where it's apparently Vinny or Vince, I think, was the cop's name, the gun cop that became the melted monster. Apparently it's his birthday. So there's party decorations all over the station and they're eating the birthday cake that says happy birthday Vince while his partner is crying in a chair saying, you won't believe this horrible monster I saw. And Pandora walks in and says, anybody seen any monsters around here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One cop says no. And then the, they're like, did you not hear what's his face over here? And he was like, 
No. <laughs> no, never listen to him. Don't listen to him, no. So she finds out that PG is around, so right. he gets a little I, bit closer. I also love how all the cops in the station do not look like cops at all. <laughs> it's it's like it's like if we all dressed up as cops and we're in a movie. Sure. As we, you know, we certainly <laughs> What I what I love and I noticed this time around was there was the detective in the background where he's wearing white pants and a bright pink uh, shirt. I think mm. it's like a collar shirt with rolled up sleeves. That's Miami Vice right there. Just thrown <laughs> randomly into some like like headquarters in Canada. Just like <laughs> <laughs> it's also worth noting that Pandora Pandora shows up to this uh, this department as her human form that she yes. stole in the meat cube, still dressed in white, still emotionless as ever and uh i think she she approaches Vinny's partner and then is just like give it all to me and then just sucks out all the knowledge from his brain and then we never see him again <laughs> but i can only imagine everyone was vaporized probably yes because this is good to know because at the end of his fight pg is weakened they've they poisoned their weapons with something that he doesn't do well with right i uh, think it's like um they had a battle that he spilled blood on and then they saved his blood some way and they blessed their blades with it. Nice. You know, as <laughs> Which you I'm do. sure is like two seconds of dialogue that just flew by. Right. And they, you know, that's poisonous to PG. Cool. Awesome. He's, he's bleeding pink. <laughs> he's bleeding Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> and, uh, and then when he says, I'm dying. And then the, Luke and Mimi just look at each other and they're like, what? You can die? What? Mm-hmm. Since when? And then they wrap him in a little blanket. It's my favorite part. Maybe like gets this like cow tech, like this like, you know, cow blanket. And she like wraps it around his head. They need to get out of the woods with him. So we cut to mom and dad who are fighting about everything because dad is horrifically inept. At this point, we realize... <laughs> Oh, he is just terrible. They have like a huge conversation. And uh, if it wasn't obvious to the viewer beforehand, it's obvious after this conversation where because of the craziness during a mo- the montage, I believe they they sm- smash and destroy the TV while the dad's watching it. Yes. So then he buys a new one. And then the mom comes in and he's like, what's this? And he's like, oh, it's a new TV. Oh, by the way, I'll be taking a few weeks off of work until my wrist heals up. So you might want to pick up more shifts at the pharmacy to pay for this bad boy. So if it wasn't clear before, you know now that he is an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so that's when she calls him lazy. Which is Ooh, his don't that's his trigger word. <laughs> that is the Marty McFly equivalent to chicken, where he yeah. just gets his back up, then that's it, what all of my teachers and bosses and everyone I've and, ever known has said about me. How dare <laughs> you? And then it cuts to him sitting on the toilet taking a shit. <laughs> being like, Lazy, I have a BA in English. Which, as someone who has a BA in English, I thought was a little, little bit of a low blow. But hey, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, then, 
Psycho Gorman's disembodied facial projection appears while he's taking a shit. Come pick us up in the forest. <laughs> I think he has to give the dad directions, right? Off of Highway 95. And right. he's yeah. like, which three, exit? Three times. Three times. Exit like, seven. He, his face keeps like coming out and coming back in. <laughs> and the dad's like falls into the bathtub, pants half down. And he's like, I don't know where that is. And he's like, you go down this street to the second set of lights. <laughs> yeah. As you can imagine, he's memorized directions somehow, but you know what? <laughs> he's got every power. It's fine. That's that's the, the ridiculousness of it. So with those pristine directions, they pick up a dying psycho worm and throw him in the back, but he has to move over for Mimi's wagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could you just move over for my wagon? Thanks. And then we begin the third half of the movie where they come home and Pandora in human form is hanging out with the mom. And it begins the setup of what I consider probably the second best joke of the movie. It's something like they pull up with the truck and there's Pandora on the front lawn with mom mm. and there's Psycho Gorman in the back. So she's had a conversation with mom. We're like, oh, he's a horrible monster and you got to get him away from the kids and the dad's in the pickup truck with the kids. Luke is sort of like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't because he's, you know, he's the soft wet blanket boy and has to be like, I think maybe Psycho Gorman is a horrible monster. We've seen horrible <laughs> monsters through this whole thing. It's logical mm. that he's a horrible monster. I'm going to go out with mom. So he gets out of the truck. But then Mimi and dad stay in and they're kind of like, ooh, you know, I, I don't want to. Mimi obviously loves him, so she doesn't want to give him up. So she's like, you know, you know, please, Dad, please. And Dad's like looking over at Mom, and they just had a big fight. So he's like, yeah, you want to see something lazy? <laughs> oh, guess who's lazy now, Susan? <laughs> yes. That's yep. So that's, that's my favorite. <laughs> guess who's lazy now? Which does not make sense, because he just drives off in the truck with the Psycho Gorman. It's not necessarily oh, lazy. No, it's it's well, irresponsible. Look, look who's lazy no. It's, it's how's this for lazy Susan? Yes, because he, he says lazy Susan, and they must have made that joke just to talk about a lazy Susan. Those little uh, turntables. Yep. Yeah. That was the whole premise of their na her name, I imagine. And for and the first just... time in this whole episode, I remember what the mom's name is. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really call each other by their names often, but it's Susan and Greg. That's mom and dad. So we split the party. Boom. Divided. The lines are drawn in the sand. And so Mimi and Greg go back to the shoe factory. And Pandora, Luke, and Susan go to the kitchen. Pandora then sheds her human form, goes back to her sleek white Luchadorian-esque outfit, and is making what looks to be like a Kool-Aid of some sort. Yeah, she's got to drink the Kool-Aid. Mom drinks that Kool-Aid and then cut to what turns out to be the final showdown in the shoe factory. We do have Mimi and dad together. We do see Mimi talking in Psycho Corman, who's obviously failing. He's not doing well. So he looks mm -hmm. like he's like sick kid on the couch with all the blankets around him. And an odd assortment of blankets. He's got like a, like a zebra print scarf wrapped around his head <laughs> and a big like fluffy blanket over him. It's so good. Yeah. He says that the, do we, he does tell them that the only thing that can cure him is the gem if they give it up. Right. But they don't necessarily trust him to do that. And mm -hmm. I think maybe he does try to, right? She does. 
Yeah, she uh, she's looking for it in her bag. She's having a hard time finding it, but she goes, you got to promise not to kill me or my family. And then the dad, just like, dad, looking over at the bloody, still bleeding TV, looks over at her, and, she, and he goes, what about not killing the planet or anyone on the planet? And then as she's looking for the gem, she's like, oh, yeah, whoops. And he was like, yeah, big whoops. But then it just doesn't force her or anything. Doesn't just goes no, back to the just TV. Move just moves on. But the gem is missing. It's not there. It's not there. It's not where she put it. No. And then the the door to the shoe factory breaks down, and there is Pandora. Wait, wait, hold and, on. There's a, there's a great scene right before this where it gets a little religiousy. Oh, is that mm. right here? Okay. I believe so. Yes. So Mimi. Is she's having a crisis now where she knows there's going to be a battle between, I believe she says, evil and worse evil because nobody is good. So <laughs> there's going to be some battling and she needs to make this really important decision. So she goes into an office at the shoe, shoe factory. There's a crucifix on the wall. So she gets on her knees and she puts her hands together to pray and she's asking for some guidance. And as she, she does so, she stops and says which pair of shades should I wear? <laughs> because that's what she's praying for guidance for. She's already made her decision. And she even says, actually, I know I'm going to wear the zebra print ones, throws the other pair of sunglasses somewhere, puts on the zebra print ones. I think she takes the crucifix off the wall, breaks it in half, and then is like, I'm ready. <laughs> Which is No, she says, um, there's a new god in town, and it's uh, Psycho Gorman. That's right. And you're like, oh. <laughs> so I got to throw in the blasphemy some more there. So not only are the angels okay. evil, and we're on the side of demons. <laughs> we're just going to really hit that home where God has no place here, unless that god is Psycho Gorman. From the child's point of view, it's, it's even better that it's yeah, coming dude. from the kid. <laughs> I loved it. I loved that moment. That was great. <laughs> okay, th then the door gets kicked down. And we find out it's Pandora and uh, right, and the Templorian version of Mom. Yeah. Susan drank the Kool-Aid literally and then became bestowed Templorian powers. And she's gonna she's got her eyes set on Greg. And then we find out that Luke is also in tail in tow with the gem. And so things are not looking good for the PG crowd no mimi kind of steps up and she says no one tells me what to do not you not the president not my dad she points the dad dad says yep that's right <laughs> pg in his weakened state does what he can he, he has to pop up and try to help her susan starts fighting greg and then mimi and luke start fighting so everybody kind of goes into their little pods of violence at this point three on three mm. gorman in a weakened state Pandora has her uh, lightsaber-esque uh, sword. Yep, she her holy blade. Pulls it out of her back. Her. Yes, holy mm. blade. It does glow. It's not made of glow, but the inside of it kind of glows blue. Hmm. And uh, Gorman remembers some type of Templorian mythos, like a, a charter or something that says they have to bestow some type of like mercy so you get to challenge a combat challenge if you will yes she's like okay what are your terms and then he goes Mimi you get to decide the challenge and ladies and gentlemen <laughs> crazy ball crazy ball <laughs> crazy so it ball. comes into play a third time in this film 
And if you thought they were done with it, you were heckin' wrong. Mm-hmm. Here comes the crazy ball challenge. And so Pandora is completely confused. We do see the the aliens from the other worlds. They're watching this via like some sort of a hologram that is, I don't know, maybe it's with the Templar woman. So they're also watching and Mimi's trying to explain crazy ball to a bunch of adults and they're all going, I, I don't know what this is. And everybody watching back on Gygax eating their blue spaghetti. They're like, I don't get it either, but th- this looks great. This is fun. And then what are the names of the teams? They were... I don't remember. It's like Team Losers and Team Hero. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that, yeah. And of course, Mimi named her own team Team Hero. She must have named both teams. <laughs> yeah, yep. On point. So that's uh, Susan and Pandora and Luke are on a team. And we've got Mimi, Dad, and Psycho Gorman. And they're, they've got to play crazy ball against each other. Mimi and... Uh, Luke, they both have their face paint on back again. So they must have grabbed dirt off the floor because Luke is a kitty cat again, which is hilarious. <laughs> and then, yeah, crazy ball. Another Crazy ball happens. And what a match it is. Dad does a mm. flip, which is obviously not dad. It's obviously a stunt <laughs> double, but it's still great. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if you see, if you look at the freeze frame of it, you can see it's like a much younger <laughs> like <laughs> stunt double. <laughs> a much younger, more well-cropped beard, but... Mm. You know, and, the, and then he goes to high five PG and PG breaks his wrist. Like, lit, like actually breaks his wrist. Not he doesn't do anything. Him. He just, dad does the high five and then his hand just like bends yeah. backwards in the bone shoot. Yeah. Because Psycho Gorman is so tough. Uh, but it's a, it's a switcheroo that it comes down to where the two balls collide. And then just like in the beginning, it's Luke versus Mimi. And Luke runs in, oh no, Mimi runs, punches Luke in the gut. And I think that's what seals the deal, right? It is, but mm-hmm. I'd like to rewind a bit. Oh, sure. There was one more uh, crazy ball stipulation that I really enjoyed where it was, was it six point butt bonus? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you nail someone on the ass, uh, you get six points. And Psycho Gorman gets someone in the ass. I think he gets Pandora on the ass. He gets Pandora on the ass, <laughs> yeah. and he is psyched. He is so happy. He's like, six, six point butt bonus! <laughs> It's like two seconds, but it's so good. So then to clarify about the switcheroo, right? You, The balls hit in the air. Yes. And then what happens is you have to uh, hit your opponent, be the first one to hit your opponent. And then if yes. that happens, you get all of your opponent opponent's points plus one. Plus one, So yeah. it's a big freaking deal. That's a super kid move too, like everything plus one. Yeah. And so they do it. Mimi does it. She fucking socks Luke right in the gut. The heroes win. And Pandora is having none of it. And is like, fuck this. She gets out her holy sword and is about to cut Psycho Gorman down. Mimi stands in front. Pandora don't give a shit. About to cut both of them down. And then palatinized... Templarized mom. Templarized mom. Templarized Susan defies Pandora. And it's a, just a showdown. And then Pandora, being pissed, strips away mom's powers, and she's just a fucking goop. Falls into <laughs> the arms of Greg. Mm-hmm. Greg, you think, is going to have a sweet moment. And then he's just like, Susan, oh my God, you have to take me to the hospital. My wrist hurts. <laughs> Greg. Fucking Greg. Uh, it hurts my soul. So then what happens? We, they start singing. 
<laughs> at this point. I don't know what Pandora and PG are doing at this moment. Oh, they're having the sword fight, right? PG takes parts of Pandora's body and compiles them into a meat sword. Yeah, I think that happens after the singing. Oh, they're yeah, they're 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 fighting, and then they yeah they sing during the fight. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like he gets like a second wind minus his gem. He's like, he's like, what kind of sword are you going to use? And he's like, I will make one. And then he just starts ripping pieces of Pandora out and makes I think like, he like rips her spine out. He pulls her like eyeball out, a bunch of other stuff and makes it. A- yeah, she's pretty wrecked looking and yet she still is a spry. This <laughs> is before somehow. And he makes like this fucking six foot sword. A wiggly meat sword. It's it's like the ones you get at King Richard's Fair. It's like the giant turkey leg that's definitely not a turkey leg. It's something else. It's an it's emu. atrocious from hell. <laughs> Covered in intestines. So then it's during all of that, Greg's passed out with Susan, and then, you know, they start singing the song. Luke is like, Mimi, why are you always mean to me? If you just said mm-hmm. you were sorry, then it would be okay. So she kind of looks at him, and instead of saying sorry, she starts singing, I'm the heckin' best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they all start picking up a it verse. It softens him somehow. PG sings a verse. He kind of throws some <laughs> stuff in there. Oh, right, yeah. Okay, so I guess they're not sword fighting. He's they still fight right over. after that, I guess. Let's just say for the listener that the ending is a little bit of a mess because a lot's happening at once. <laughs> you, the whole movie is like, what? when did this happen? Because <laughs> it is a lot squished into a film. It is. Into a tiny little box. But so there beautiful. is a there is the sword fight then. Mm. Mimi does apologize, not verbally, but with the special language her brother <laughs> and her use, she knocks in Morse code. I'm sorry. Which is sweet. Mm. That's about the sweetest you're going to get. Her only sweet moment in the entire movie. And she, she hugs him. She does hug Luke. So, mm. oh, look at that. Meanwhile, there's the meat sword fight in the background. That's when... PG sees on the ground his magazines have been destroyed in the hullabaloo. Oh, <gasps> Not, Not my, my hunky boy. boys. That and then he gets the biggest second wind he's ever had. I just uh, want to mention that we're covering this for Pride Month, so this is this is some good uh, sure good coverage. Happy Pride Month, everybody! Happy Pride! Happy Pride! PG hunky is boys, uh, hunky boys, hunky girls. Everything cool. yeah. in between. He's a pan, I would say, and that's cool. He he almost gets beat, doesn't he? I can't remember. No, he he does. That's his second win. He beats Pandora and gives her the warrior's death. She she says something like, "Oh, unnamed one, just finish me off." And he says, "I do have a name now. It is Psycho <laughs> Goreman." Yeah, 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 yeah. And she says, "That's a beautiful name, as if it is." <laughs> and then yeah, I was like, "Why the fuck did she say that?" Such a beautiful. You got to imagine the universe is just way messed up. <laughs> yeah. They're like, and then oh. one of my favorite parts is that, so the kids have already watched this like one, at least once, twice now of him giving the warrior's death. And they're like, no, you can't see this for the parents. Like you, you can't watch this. You can't handle this, mm-hmm. but we can. <laughs> and Greg's like kind of interested. He's like, oh no, wait, no, Susan's very interested. He's like, well, what is he doing? Why is his jug like that? <laughs> the kids are like, no, 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 you can't handle this. So it's a reflection on what kids can handle because they can usually handle a lot more than adults can <laughs> most of the time. 
So then that's our ending. I think and they have their sweet little reunion outside. They do. They, they leave the shoe factory. Cycle Gorman, mm-hmm. I think he hands the gem back to Mimi now. So at some point she gave it to him. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when. Because he didn't, he doesn't need it anymore. Yes. Because his power comes from what, guys? From love. From love. love. And I love, if you look over to Luke, he's like, what? <laughs> I think he even says it. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. You're like, because you say it too. You're like, what? In your own head. <laughs> he's learned to love by hanging out with Mimi and her terrible family somehow. <laughs> but now he's, what is he going to go do with his, his newfound love? He's going to go murder everyone. He still, opens so. a, a portal and steps through and you can see him just laying waste to, I think, the town that they were just in. Just it looks like the town we live in, which is uh, a very cute suburban uh, like Hallmark Town. New England like kind of, yeah, like just your sweet middle town type of thing getting destroyed. Wrecking it. Dad says, Well, we've learned a lot today. And then trails off and starts falling over. So Susan catches him. He's losing blood. Yeah. yeah. Susan catches him and says, All right, let's let's get to the hospital now. Which I'm thinking, how long are hospitals really gonna survive with PG out there doing his thing? But hopefully long enough to get dad mended. Yeah, I mean, if they get in before the onslaught. Yeah, yeah. And then that's Psycho Gorman. And then cutscene, credits, Psycho Gorman rap. Yes. Well, actually, there's a one squidge more. That's when we see Alistair's family. And you see on the news. Oh, yes. There's a news report saying a giant naked purple man is destroying the city because I guess PG is now also capable of becoming gigantic. So yeah. he is definitely destroying everything. He's Godzilling, <laughs> like hardcore. <laughs> and Alistair's family ignores that he is a giant brain. Uh, it's just a giant rover, just <laughs> laying waste. And then the track kicks in. Now we've already been blessed with the Frig Off song, but that is not the end of the original soundtrack of Psycho Gorman. Mm-mm. Going off of our last episode of uh, Movies with Songs with the Movie and the Title and the Song, Psycho Gorman has a rap song. It is one of them. PG, for sure. And it's so great. Look up, for those listening, uh, Shudder, where this is being streamed exclusively, posted the music video for this song, and it is wonderful. It is VHS 90s throwback (laughs) MC wearing his uh, PG mask. And some great chains and... A hat over it, like little ball cap. Yeah. The whole video and even the song itself kind of reminds me of Turtle Power by Partners in Rhyme. Mm. It's just very, like, they're going for the 90s rap with the whole, like, gives you everything about the movie in it, which is perfect. It's just a great way to end this. Fantastic movie. I mean... Yeah, man. Those Canadians, they know how to do their 80s, 90s nostalgia very, very well. Seriously, Stephen Kostansky, he did The Void before this, which I also really liked, which is kind of a Lovecraftian, I guess, space horror. Going off of our uh, Hellraiser (laughs) 4 talk of uh, horror in space, Um, The Void, another good one. Mm -hmm. He also did a movie called Father's Day, which I have not seen, but I hear it's very trauma-esque and really good. But yeah, knocked out of the park with this one. I mean, this already has a huge fan base and I can just see it growing over time. This is definitely going to be one of those five, ten, maybe even like two months from now, 
midnight mm. screening going to be sold out in a raucous Yeah, it's just crowd. unfortunate. It was, yeah, it was released during COVID. So it was kind of like delayed and pushed around and pushed back and all that. So maybe with the Halloween season coming up this year, yeah, it'll get its due. Yeah, yeah. who knows? Uh, which, which character would you guys be for Halloween? I'd, I'd be my favorite cop guy. Yes. Uh, so gross and wonderful. But you could wear the uniform would be pretty comfortable. So you just have to wear like mm, the prosthetics yes. would not be. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I would be uh which which master. She was so cool. Oh, she's cool. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'd make a really funny cardboard version of washing machine meat grinder thing. Yes. <laughs> oh, I would love it so it would much. be terrible to wear but i think it would be appreciated by many if i could make a funny version of that yeah for sure i'd be tube man tube man aka the uh oh the brain the brain guy how are you gonna do that you're gonna put like a you're gonna put something on top of your head and just be yeah i could either go the really tall route and then just have his body be my helmet or i could just put a tube over my head that's comfortable oh maybe paint your face as a skeleton as a brain sort of oh yeah that's true too any other ideas out there in the audience leave us a comment yeah let us know who would you want to be for halloween out of the uh, pg crew (laughs) there's a lot of possibilities and all Mm. of them are fun all of them are great thanks definitely highly recommended for anybody that likes any of those nostalgia things it's like goosebumps for adults <laughs> it's just <laughs> silly and made for people that probably are exactly our audience so yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. again it's streaming on shutter exclusively i think it's available on vod everywhere and they released it on blu-ray there's a you know pretty regular edition in the united states i happen to get the canadian edition called the limited hunky boy ultimate edition it comes with uh some amazing trading cards as well as the uh soundtrack on cd oh nice i don't know how available this one is but they the same company released a more standard version of this so either way pick it up it's great the extras are worth getting on this version there's three commentary tracks which i have yet to delve into but you got the director and then you have the guy who was actually psycho gorman himself the man in the rubber suit and then i think it also has interviews with the people who did the special effects so the managers and stuff like that so pretty hefty in the extra features so if you love it as much as we do it's definitely worth seeking out so recommendations based off of psycho gorman katron what have you got for us i got one uh, that i immediately thought of before i even saw the movie i knew this would be very similar it's 2015's turbo kid Ooh, yes so has anybody seen turbo kid i yeah. have um yeah it's great it's oh go on uh (laughs) i haven't seen in a while i've tried to get us to watch it for many a midnight romero society meeting because i love it so much but i haven't seen it in so long and i know it'll be a great movie to see in a big crowd so this is also a canadian film um it is just so fun and very nostalgia fueled it's got a synth soundtrack like psycho gorman uh, and it's it takes place in a future filled with acid rain and wars and nuclear winter in the future of 1997. Ooh, ooh, yes. So th- I've been there. The, and it was it's a horrific future for all of us. Uh, and that's the joke is that this movie is from 2015 and 1997 is the future. Oh, that's kind of cool. I like that idea. 
it's just so cool. The costumes are so cool. Everything's kind of simple, but perfect. And it's this post-apocalyptic, I guess, dystopian Canadian future. (laughs) The opening, uh, it's people on bikes because cars don't work anymore, I guess. So you get this kid rolling up on a bike. He's wearing like a bright red helmet and rainbow like elbow pads and knee pads on his little bike. And he's going through a bunch of garbage and he pulls out a Rubik's Cube. Uh, And there's several heads on spikes hanging out around him. So, you know, things aren't well. And he kind of bikes back to his his little house that is this kind of, I think it's an underground or like in a cave or something where he's got all of his little treasures. So this world is very Mad Max-ish. Uh, there's gangs of baddies hanging out that have like saw blades for arms and whatnot. And the the kid who is our protagonist, he never ha- never has a name. He's just the kid. He loves this comic book character called Turbo Rider that he idolizes him. So he kind of dresses like him. There's a big poster on his wall. And at some point he finds what looks to be perhaps a Turbo Rider costume and puts it on and becomes the Turbo Kid. So just amazing synth soundtrack by a band called Le Matos, uh, who are wonderful. I got to see them live. They were actually touring with Whoa. Carpenter Brute. Oh, that's awesome. for them. So if you're aware of Carpenter Brute, it's similar to that. Hell yeah. I think it's two two dudes, two French-Canadian dudes with like turntables was mm. all that we saw, but they were so good live. So good. Nice. I love Carpenter Brute. That's awesome. So uh, you probably love Limatos then. They also did the soundtrack for the movie Summer of 84, and that's made by the same ball. Uh, this was a Canadian slash New Zealand film, so I guess it was filmed in both places. And it started as, uh, are you aware of the ABCs of Death mm-hmm. uh, from 2012? They made a, maybe one sequel after that. This was an entry for ABCs of Death that didn't get chosen. T is for Turbo. So you can see that short film online if you want to. Um, but didn't get chosen for the anthology film, which is, there's a letter for every like little sequence in the film, 26 shorts for all around the world horror movies. Um, but the people making that movie said, how about we give you more money and make it into a feature-length film? You can see this on Tubi for free right now. Uh, so if you like Mad Max, but Synthwave, this is the film for you. Uh, <laughs> I can't recommend it enough. I think more people need to see it. It came out, I think, on Netflix only when Netflix wasn't as big as it is. So there have been physical releases of it, but I don't think they're, hard, they're easy to find anymore. Uh, but you can see it on Tubi now. That's my first recommendation. I have another one, and that is 1987's The Gate. Oh, yeah! Oh, shit. That was mine, too. Oh, good. So the very beginning of this movie where the kids dig the giant hole and find some monster shit on the bottom, I was like, this is The Gate, and The Gate is one of my (laughs) most favorite films ever. So this, The Gate... Two kids do open up a gate to hell using a black metal album and a hole that they find from a tree getting hit by lightning and falling over in their yard. So cool. Uh, It stars a very (laughs) young Stephen Dorff of Blade fame. He was Frost Mm -hmm. in in Blade. So if you want to see him when he was like 12 or 14 or something, watch this movie and watch him open up some hell. It's just so weird. (laughs) There's miniature uh, clay demons running around that literally gave me nightmares. (laughs) Uh, I probably saw it too young, but that's okay. 
I wish I had seen it young. I didn't see it till a few years ago. So good. I don't know if my parents ever monitored what I was watching or if they just saw there were kids in it. They were like, I've <laughs> it, everyone. Uh, so yeah, they, they open up this portal to hell. Tiny demons come out and chase them, but that's not the only thing that happens in this film. A bunch of just weird shit starts happening. Their parents are away on some trip, so it's just a kid and his older sister who decides to have a party with her teen friends and just Things start happening at this party. Uh, the friend who's into metal, the metal kid, is so cool. Terry is his name. He's, his parents are very absentee parents, but his dad buys him anything he wants, including all the medals, uh, all the metal albums that he gets when he's going to Scandinavian countries. Uh, and it's the, just the kid's room is cool. Everything about this movie, so good and very reminiscent of you want to see kids unleash some evil. Here you go. <laughs> uh, there's a melting telephone. Weird shit just happens to the pictures in the background. It's just so good. Why did you think of this one, Miss Jenny? I loved it. I'm actually happy that you talked about it because you know all the fine details of it. I've only seen it once. I loved every second of it. And it, when I was watching Psycho Gorman for the first time, I was like, the gate. Like, that's all I could think about. I was like, this would be a fucking awesome double feature. <laughs> Everything about it is me, my childhood, amazingness. It has, you know, the same elements. You've got your giant hole in the backyard. You've got demons. You've got weird things happening. You've got absentee parents and crazy kids, <laughs> unruly crazy kids. It's also Canadian. Oh, see, I didn't realize that. Thank you, Canada. Or, or, or just the director was Canadian. I, Thank there was you. Canadian parts. There is a sequel to The Gate that is a little bit more weird. It's a bit more silly. I haven't seen it in a while. I did buy it on Blu-ray, but I haven't watch it in a while but i remember it getting just dumb and but fun they do kill a hamster cool. and there's a sacrificial hamster <gasps> and i think wish making i think they do things about wishes which is not at all the first movie but also silly if you want to keep going down that route yeah i have not seen the sequel i didn't know know there was one so that's really cool yeah man i also vouch for this movie this movie freaking rocks so I love the gate. you like evil you like demons you like metal that is the fault of all of this Hell yes. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, it would pair really awesome. well with Deathgasm, uh, another metal-infused oh, yeah, metal yep. movie. Thank you, Kai. No problem. Jet Mike. Yo. What have you got for us? Well, I, the first film that popped into my brain upon seeing this was Monster Squad. Mm. Oh, another of my favorite movies of all yeah. time. 1987. So it was kind of like the previous generation's kind of homage the way that Psycho Gorman had so many homages you know it's a very nostalgic film you can't say Universal Monsters because Universal didn't put it out but it basically had the Universal Monsters in it there's no creature from the Black Lagoon he's Gilman but everybody else who was public domain you could still say Dracula and you know Frankenstein's mm -hmm. monster and whatever but Fred Decker he never got his due as a great director and a great historian of horror but yeah this mm -hmm. is a this is a a love piece where it really focuses on the kids and yeah. the monsters are, they don't have as ex an extreme relationship as you would have in 2021. You know, the monsters are in search of an amulet and they, you know, slowly the, like the tiniest, littlest kid befriends Frankenstein's monster mm -hmm. while everybody's trying to fight the bad, you know, the bad monsters. But, you know, she sees the, the heart 
in one of them. And, you know, there's a lot of very similar themes to this film. So if mm. you're if you're into that nostalgic thing and you want to see, if you see Psycho Gorman, you say, I like the heart that this movie has, despite all of the violence and, you know, whatever. The violence is way toned down in the 1980s, but <laughs> yes. it still has, you'll get that feel. It's very fun. It's very humorous, very entertaining way to spend 90 minutes or whatever the runtime is. And that it's a movie about horror fans, kids who are horror fans, probably helped start me down that path because I definitely saw it as a kid because my parents are like, kid movie, here you go. <laughs> uh, and it definitely was like, oh, they loved them. They, were tri they had to pass trivia to get into their monster squad. One of the kids is wearing a Stephen King Rules t-shirt, which you do see in Stranger Things. That I think this is a good time to bring some of this stuff back that kind of wasn't a thing before. Like Stranger Things really hit that nostalgic kind of vibe like hey remember when kids used to do stuff and we put <laughs> kids in movies and it wasn't necessarily for kids here you go uh so monster squad is a perfect recommendation for the mm. a psycho gorman fan absolutely and tom noonan who plays frankenstein's monster fantastic also played the killer in uh michael mann's manhunter so it's very interesting to see him in this movie where he's a little bit more, he's still like the socially awkward and odd character, but he's a lot more enduring in uh, Monster Squad. So it's a very interesting performance from him, but I love it. It's it's great. I, I didn't see this as young, probably in my mid-20s, but it's great. It's great uh, as a horror lover. You definitely relate. And there's an 80s montage in the middle. <laughs> there's an 80s montage. No, a legit 80s montage. It's beautiful. The kid who played Rudy, who's like the older, cool kid with the motorcycle jacket. Uh, I, of course, was in love with him as a young person. Uh, he was also in Kids Incorporated, if anybody remembers wow. that show. Mm. Mm. So he apparently also had like a real life band and uh, made music in his life. If you're wondering, what's Rudy up to? He was making music. And if you're if you're haven't seen the movie but you fan enough to know the line Wolfman's got nards, that's where mm -hmm. it came from. Yes, it is. Excellent. It's basically Goonies but with monsters. But I feel like it's a little bit better. The way they treat the kid who is bigger than all the other kids is so much better in this movie. That it's one of those things that doesn't always age well, uh, but they treat horse much better. <laughs> than they treat Chunk <laughs> in the Goonies. I wanted to have. I want to go back to the Goonies. I haven't seen it in so long. Goonies Monster Squad. Watch those together. Mm. That's when I fell in love with Cindy Lauper. I was like, whoa, that's very good. <laughs> so good. Goonies came out on 4K recently. I don't know about Monster Squad. I know it had two Blu-ray releases that are both out of print. It is now on Amazon and iTunes. Mm. So if you haven't watched that, that's where you can get it. I think it's overdue. It's overdue for another rediscovery for sure. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Jet Mike. Yeah. Jenny from the Grave. What have you got for us? So the gate was kind of my like genre pick, you know, very similar sci-fi horror, whatever. Um, my other pick goes more down the road of mischievous children. Mm -hmm. And my pick is Problem Child from 1990. <laughs> Uh, kind of a wicked deep cut. Has anybody seen this? You bet I have. And the sequel. Excellent. There's two sequels. There's oh, I don't think I've seen total. the third one yet, but I've I seen, seen one and two. I haven't seen the third one either. Yeah. Um, so this is a yeah, 1990s film starring a bunch of hot names. 
John Ritter, Jack Warden, Gilbert Gottfried, Amy Yazbek, Michael Richards, just to name a few. And it is about the shittiest child you will ever meet in your life. <laughs> a little bastard. Yeah. He is, so John Ritter's character and his wife, Flo, are uh, kind of suburban, well-off, sporting goods store owners looking for a I think they can't have a child for one reason or another. So they're looking to adopt a child and they somehow get their hands on, oh my gosh, what is his name? Junior uh, from an adoption agency, a little redheaded. I think he's probably like six or seven, maybe. I don't know. And he is adopted and then things start going very, very wrong. And he turns out to be like this evil monster-like child who just ruins everything. He ruins birthday parties. He, you know, puts, he does so many evil, awful things. It is great. And he is correspondence with a serial killer. Like that's how <laughs> evil he is. Right. That's his so, idol is the, the serial yeah. killer. <laughs> Yeah, his idols are serial killers. So he is this little demon child, screws everything up for these two, you know, suburbanites that have adopted him. And I don't want to give too much away because you should just watch it and revel in it because it is just beautifully, it's beautifully done. And it's it's a classic. It's totally nostalgic for me. I saw it when I was young and I was like, yeah, evil kid. That's, you know, I can relate to that, man. You know, the parents want you to be this perfect angel and it's just not going to happen. I could see Junior and Mimi hanging out. Yes, (laughs) most definitely. They would probably be very competitive against each other. Mm. Also check out Dennis the Menace too, that uh, live action film. Not as good as Problem Child in my opinion, but it has some dark moments. So Not as extreme, but if you're going to, go with the 90s bad kids movie yeah there's so many to choose from there are so many to choose from i think like who's in that um christopher lloyd's character is really scary he scared the shit out of me when i was little but Um, yeah because he was like the the drifter mm -hmm. eating beans out of the can like (laughs) that's right yeah Sorry, I guess I had two movies on my uh, mischievous children's list, but um, yeah, Problem Child, check it out. It's on Tubi and Amazon. Nice. I didn't realize that was Christopher Lloyd. Oh, and, and Dennis the Menace. And Dennis the Menace, yeah. Yeah. Because I watch yeah. that quite often. Yeah, it's always interesting when you go back and watch these things as, a, as an adult, and then you're like, oh, wait, it's that guy this whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right on. Got to rediscover that, too. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. What about you, Dave? What about me? Nah, I don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'm kidding. Um, It's The Giver from 1991. So, you know, on the cusp between the 80s and 90s. Made in the 80s, released in the 90s. Starring Mark Hamill of Star Wars fame and Mark Hamill's mustache of some porno, <laughs> I'm convinced. And it is produced by Brian Usna, but 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 directed, or at least co-directed, by special effects master Screaming Mad George and Steve Wang. And this this is quite a hoot. It's based off of a manga. I've never read the manga, so I don't know if it shares its different tonal shifts. But this is like one of those movies where much like Psycho Gorman, you could say like kids could empathize with it, but it's very much an adult movie because it definitely has has amazing creature effects. In addition to Mark Hamill, you also have, um, who's the guy from The Hills Have Eyes? Uh, Michael Berryman. And he 
uh, runs this gang of aliens who, like the whole premise is like there are these aliens who hide under the guise of being human. And they're like so, somewhat of an advanced species um, because they can transform and they have different abilities. But the Giver is like this, I guess, synthetic type of device that can level the playing field. So if anyone gets control of this mechanism, they get like these incredible superpowers and almost like near invincibility. So this like kind of schmuck fellow accidentally gets a hold of the Giver and then becomes this badass superhero. It's great, but the tonal shifts are very weird because you'll have like this strong slapsticky type of uh, moments right next to like these super violent gory moments. And it just changes on a beat. There's this one scene where Mark Hamill is kidnapped and they're in like a a laboratory. And so Guyver comes and he is rescuing them. And then it suddenly becomes like Three Stooges type of chase where they'll go off camera and then they'll come back with like, like a ladder or something like beating the head over one another and then so on and so forth. It's a, it's a very weird movie, not unlike Psycho Gorman. Um, So if you like the men in suits, weird powers and comic booky type of feel. And if you like Mark Hamill, right? Like, what else have you seen him in? He's so awesome in this movie. Right. It's 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 fantastic. It's like of the same era as uh, Body Bags. For mm-hmm. John Carpenter fans, if you know, you made that uh, TV anthology series and he was in the best story in that anthology called Eyeball, in which he also has a mustache. So he had like this street just... <laughs> appearing in mustaches but uh but yeah the guyver it's great i actually watched it when i was young um this is one of those uh, where i can sincerely say that and i remember liking it then and then i watched it um me and jenny watched it recently and it is still very entertaining still got you know some bugs and stuff like that but hey you know what doesn't you know it's all about the vibe not the plot right i'll have to see it i've kind of aware of the Japanese story. I think I've seen some of one of the anime iterations of it. Mm. It's been around a long time, and I think it's come back a few times. The special effects are awesome. I'm going to have to see it. This sounds awesome. Yeah. It was was by, um, what was his name? Screaming Mad George. That's the guy who did uh, Society. So (laughs) That's the guy who did Society, and I think he also did Freaked. Mm. That would make sense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is another movie that I don't think enough people have seen. I saw it, again, on HBO. I always tell the story, so stop me if I've said it before on the podcast, but it was during an HBO free weekend. Freaked was on. I was digging it. My mom saw me, like, very close to the TV, and she automatically assumed that I was watching a porno, proceeded to tell my dad <laughs> that I was watching a porno. So I had this very awkward conversation the next morning. If that's your porno, then you know what? More power to you. <laughs> was it like, was it like Bessie? The, I don't remember the cow's name. Was it like the cow moment? <laughs> like uh, I don't, I don't remember the exact moment she walked in, but I can't imagine at any point in that movie that you would think, oh, this is a porno. <laughs> yeah, it's really not that sexual at all. No, I remember. it's just a bunch of one-liners. But anyway, yeah, Freaked, another Screaming Man George movie that uh, definitely, it's not really available, but should definitely be available. Hopefully we'll get a random deluxe edition one of these days. But The Giver, on the other hand, has a great sort of deluxe edition by Arrow. I don't know what the right situation is for America because they only released it in the UK and Canada, but the disc is region free. Whatever, whichever one you pick up, 
I recommend picking the cheapest one. <laughs> you know, it will play on any player. So that's uh, one way to watch it. Yeah, naturally, it's on Amazon streaming. Oh. So if you have Prime, do it up. Uh, it doesn't seem to be anywhere else. But, you know, the Arrow Blu-ray, it's really cheap, region free. Check it out. And the special features are pretty good, too. I think they have an interview with Mark Hamill. And who doesn't like that? <laughs> oh, no, it's just an interview with Brian Usna, which is just as good, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, The Giver from 1991. So now, recommendations based on the past couple of weeks or the past month and what a month it's been. Patron, what have you been watching this past month? I've got a couple of things that I want to talk about, but I'm going to start with, I'm um, actually been binging a TV show, an animated show called Metal Ocalypse. Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. Yes. So this is a, it came out in 2006 originally, uh, in Adult Swim joint by Brandon Small. So he was big definitely during these Adult Swim cartoony times. He made Home Movies first, which was this kind of sweet show about these cutely drawn kids. I think they're in elementary school. They might even be in kindergarten or something who like to make movies at home. Uh, made for adults, but kind of a sweet story about families and things. And then the next thing that he did was Metal Ocalypse, which is this story about this band called Death Clock, spelled D-E-T-H-K-L-O-K. And Death Clock is the biggest thing in the entire world, bigger than the Beatles. They, this is a world where this metal band has just become so hugely popular that they are beloved completely by the entire world. So much so that the government is afraid that they are going to trigger an apocalypse that these four not the brightest dudes in this black metal band are going to somehow bring about the end times. Uh, so this show, the episodes are only 11 minutes long. It was definitely back in that time. I th they might still be doing short animations, but this was like huge. It was just really big at the time, this adult swim uh, cartoon times that would happen late at night. And so I watched it as it was coming out a little bit, but it was kind of like hit or miss or whatever was on on demand at the time. So I didn't completely get the whole story. I didn't quite realize that there was like this continuing thread throughout, uh, but it's so good. So if you're a metal fan at all, every inside joke is in here for you. The band is made up of, actually it's five members. You have Pickles, the drummer, Toki, and Squisgar, Squizgelf, who are the two guitarists, uh, that is rhythm and lead. Murderface is the name of the bassist, and your singer is Nathan Explosion, who is very much based off of the late Peter Steele, who is, I'm pretty sure, still alive when they started making this. And it's great. There's music in it that Brandon Small wrote that is all metal songs. The very first episode is about the band selling out to make a coffee jingle for Duncan Hills, a fictional coffee brand. And the biggest thing about this show is how gory it is. So they, their fans just die at all of their shows because everything is very uh, intense and brutal and metal. So this first episode, a whole bunch of people get killed from hot coffee spilling over them and their bodies are all melting and it's all super gross and great. 
almost like they become like religious cult status. They kind of are. They, I saw it described as the Beatles, but even bigger than that. So just like everyone loves them. And it's so interesting to see what a world where people are obsessed with metal would be because metal is so niche. Like you may not think about it if you're a metal fan because you probably know a whole bunch of other metal fans, but like grandmas listen to Death Clock, kids listen to Death Clock. Just hilarious. The the lyrics, when you can understand them, are very funny. The opening theme sounds super metal and brutal, but the lyrics are TikTok, TikTok, Death Clock, and then like introducing the band members <laughs> and the phrase doodly do a few times. It's just so funny. It's so good. They did just announce that they're releasing a movie. They're making a movie. Whoa, Ooh, that's exciting. Um, Adult Swim said they're making a movie for HBO Max, for Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Venture Brothers, and this show, all of which kind of all got canceled before they could completely be finished. So they're hoping that maybe this will wrap up some of those loose ends. Venture Brothers too. That's a good Yeah, there's so much catching up to do. <laughs> they're big flagships from, from their time. So hopefully they get their due. Uh, and this you can see Metalocalypse. It's available like pretty much everywhere and available for free. If you do have cable, you can watch it on Adult Swim. Or a Cartoon Network, sorry. You just have to put in your cable code, whatever that may be. Right on. Mm. Uh, fun fact, I saw Death Clock live. Oh, I did too. We were probably at the same show. Oh, <laughs> House of Blues in Boston? I think so. Yeah. Hell yeah. I oh, couldn't. So they did tour with this, Brandon Small and some other uh, random people, I think. And this, this show is actually very big. Uh, they came out with a couple albums that sold like a million copies. Uh, I think it was number two in the Billboard charts when it first came out. And the, the live show, they had a big screen where you could see clips of the show, I think written specifically for the concert. Uh, and then they'd play music on stage underneath. And I was very disappointed that no one was wearing a speck of corpse paint. <laughs> And I was very much crushed in this crowd and couldn't hear a gosh darn thing from the cartoon that was on the screen because everything was so loud, uh, but it was still fun. Yeah, I, uh, I sat in the balcony. I didn't sit in the balcony. That was probably way better than getting crushed by a thousand preteens where I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took one look at the crowd and I'm like, we're going up. That was with my <laughs> friend Brian. It actually worked out because there was so much on the screen Yes, that it was just the perfect viewpoint. One story was uh, they have this guy called Boneface, which is just this disembodied head. And they played a tutorial on how to not be a pit dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you help people up that have fallen down, all that stuff. And it was uh, great. As someone who spent most of his teenagehood in the pit, I wish that they would play that at every show. <laughs> right, that would be nice. Yeah, but yeah, fond memories. <sighs> I love that show. I still oh. haven't finished it, though, all these years later, so I... No, I know. We started yeah. it not too long ago. It's funny, Gatron, because we totally binged um, probably like uh, over the fall, I want to say. Last fall during COVID. And we like just like kind of dropped out for, for some reason. I think because it was on HBO Max and we had like a limited trial. Uh, there you go. So. Yeah, it's got four seasons total. So you almost made it. Uh, and there is an, a long episode, like a 30 minute movie that they made called the doom star requiem after that it's just really fun and some of the music every episode has a song in it some of the song titles i have written for you besides the duncan hines coffee duncan hills coffee <laughs> jingle uh mermaider which is mermaid murder blood recuted birthday death day hatred copter 
uh, and so on. So it definitely pokes fun at metal while also being from metal fans. It's just so fun. So that's, that's the first thing that I've been filling my time with. I also recently saw 1977's Orca, which is a nice summer film. <laughs> uh, so Jaws, but Orcas. That's this film. Has anybody seen Orca? No. No. Y'all got to go out and find yourself an Orca. I think it was just recently released on Blu-ray in a special nice edition, but it's out there somewhere. It is uh, a little bit more wacky than Jaws. It's very realistic looking in some parts, more so than Jaws was. They kind of use clips of orcas from an aquarium, interspliced with a like big rubber fake one that they made. <laughs> I don't think it's mechanical, which is probably the smart thing that they did. The beginning, I don't know if I want to tell you what happened in the beginning. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you some of it. So this orca, which is a killer whale, in case you don't know, there's this like boat captain who decides he wants to capture an orca because... That he can get $25,000 for it. So he grabs one. It ends up being a pregnant one, pregnant whale. Uh, they kill it in the process of trying to save it. And the dad whale sees all of this happening. And because whales are smart, he knows and must seek vengeance upon the death of his mate and his unborn child. So that whole beginning is super gross. And it never gets quite as gross as that. Just continues to get more weird as you watch this orca playing revenge on humans on land who refuse to just not go near the water. Totally worth your time if you can find it somewhere in a nice, fun summer film. Also recently saw a movie called Star Crash from 1978. Saw this on Comet, which is, uh, if you don't have cable, this is a channel that has sci-fi stuff on it star crash is uh an italian low-budget star wars like literally a ripoff of star wars made by <laughs> i believe the person who made this film was told go make a star wars and he read the star wars novelization without seeing the film first and then started making his script from there i wasn't quite sure if it was supposed to be star wars until i saw legit somebody just pull out a lightsaber and then i was like Oh, okay. <laughs> terrible costumes. I was delirious after getting my COVID shot at this point while watching this film. So it was even better for me. And David Hasselhoff is in it. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. There's that. Uh, and the last one I want to share is another 70s movie called California Split. It's completely out of left field from everything else. This is a 1974 Whoa. movie about two dudes gambling. Uh, so one is a straight-laced magazine worker owner something the other is this free-spirited loves to gamble dude the two of them kind of pair up and then go on a gambling adventure together not as fun as say the color of money starring tom cruise <laughs> that was <laughs> fun and silly i would say this one was a little bit more serious but very interesting for the 70s like casinos that you'll see and the costumes and the sleaziness just an interesting film and i got a lot of anxiety at the end apparently watching <laughs> watching people gamble wow. big tons yeah. of money makes me go oh my god oh my god just an interesting film to see so that's that's what i've been busy with with my time <laughs> and i recommend other people to waste their time as i have <laughs> no, that's great what a what a diverse selection i like it <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, some deep cuts. Yeah, well, thank you, Katron. No problem. Jet Mike. 
All right. So let's see. Most recently, I've watched In Search of Darkness 2, which is a documentary about 80s horror. So first, In Search of Darkness. It's basically both of the same. It goes year by year. It does, does quick recaps of several movies per year, maybe maybe like three, three, four movies per year. And it has all kinds of like big name horror stars of the time talking about you know the, the films, it's, you know, whether they're in them or just appreciated them. And they first they put them out, you know, on Blu-ray, you can buy them and whatnot. And they they have special like this this celebrity hosts this edition. And you know, like the first one you could get the Elvira one and where they would have somebody else talking about something, she would come in and go, you know, and every year she had her favorite from the year. So that was like the special stuff involved in that or whatever. If that's not your deal, Shudder has the deal with them. So they're on Shudder now, both one and two. And it's it's great because they there's a lot they don't spend a ton of time on each movie, but they get a lot of movies in. The runtime is four plus hours per documentary. So they throw a lot of stuff that you may not have seen or stuff that you've seen and loved. And they've got some amazing people talking about the movies. So definitely a recommendation. I like in and of itself, it is just recommending even more films. So you're recommending a thing to recommend a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's a good mix of A films and B films and maybe some C films thrown in there too. Yeah, I I really enjoy it. And it, you know, despite it being four hours, it goes by really fast. You know, sometimes it can be the, gets a little formulaic because you go, all right, like four minutes have gone by. It's going to be time for the next movie. It it might hit like that, that patch where you're like, oh, I don't really care about this movie or whatever. But, you know, that's the great thing about personal taste because it, it teaches me a whole lot. And there's a lot of movies that I've heard of, especially with the second one, because I got so many of the big ones out in the first one that now yeah. they're like, they're going deep. You know what I mean? For the That's second good. one. So it's, it's shown a lot of, a lot of good deep cuts in the yeah. second one. You only have so much time. So there is still big stuff that they didn't get to in the first one. So oh. I, I would give that a solid A. And they're also they're now they're working on a, a sci-fi one from, I think, the 70s, 80s uh, nice. called In Search, of, In Search of Tomorrow. That'll be happening mm-hmm. fairly soon. I bet Star Crash is on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, does anybody remember the 90s horror movie compilation called Boogeymen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. It, it, I think I had it on tape VHS and then maybe mm-hmm. on DVD we upgraded. And there's not many on there, and it's pretty much just like all the ones that you'd already know. It's like, oh, Chucky, Leprechauns, but I definitely used some of that as a blueprint to be like, I've got to watch this movie. So I'm I'm all in for uh, into the in, into the darkness in search of darkness. Uh, in, in, yeah, yeah, in search of darkness, one or two, uh, and I got one more. I watched a movie called Twelve Hour Shift. Anybody hear of that one? No. I've heard of the uh... so it's it's on Hulu. I wanted I wanted to see it for a little while, but I had to wait till it hit something. And because it stars Angela Bettis from May and the Woman, one of the most knockout, amazing actresses in horror or drama, you know, whatever she's in. She was in the remake of Carrie, which was awesome. And, you know, people a lot of people hate remakes, but that is a solid, very faithful remake. I mean, she's she's so good in every role that she takes. So I was really excited to see this movie. It is directed 
created by uh, Brea Grant. For a lot of people, it's one of those, oh, I've seen you in this, that, and that, but you just don't really know the name so much because she's she's very much into independent movie making. And I think this was her first directorial effort. I could be wrong on that. Maybe her first feature, but she's also awesome. She was in, she was in Smothered, uh, which is definitely a movie that I can recommend highly. It's Smothered's about a bunch of actors at a horror convention in, in, I can't remember what country, but it's in a faraway country. They're doing no business at the horror con, like Kane Hodder's in it and a bunch of, And so they decide to just leave. <laughs> <laughs> And they go out on like like a dude weekend and then they start getting hunted by oh, a killer. Cool. And it's just, it's really good. And that was, uh, Smothered was directed by John Schneider from the Dukes of Hazard. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, who would ever think that he would do horror, but he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was in that movie. And she was also in Dexter for a little while and Halloween 2, who Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. So let me see what I, what I wrote here. So it's a black comedy and it's about the shady things that go on at an Arkansas hospital in the name of making some extra money. Particularly during one 12-hour shift, the movie starts with Angela Bettis about to start her shift. She's got the overnight shift up through the morning. And let me see, there's organ harvesting, there's drug abuse, uh, there's Y2K prep, so you know when the when the movie's set. <laughs> they have a soda machine that sells spurt soda. I thought that was a really gross name. Uh, the local mobs involved and uh, we'll call it death both natural and unnatural occurring it's very funny but it's like just very dark it's not it's not a quote-unquote horror movie but it also is because you know some very very real world horrific things happen but it's also really funny and it's got cameos from mick foley who plays (laughs) he plays he plays a mob boss and he's so good he's so good He's That's not awesome. happy. Yeah, he is not happy go lucky McFoley. He is uh, you know, he brings some mankind into that. So I don't know. He's <laughs> he he can play the baddie pretty well. Damn. Um David Arquette also has a, a small but significant role. Nice. Former um, WCW champion. That's right. It's a very heavily female cast and everybody in it just does a bang up job. Uh, so I went in for Angela Bettis and I came out just loving everybody and all the, the crazy situations involved. So check it out. Uh, highly recommended 12 hour shift. Right on. I just put it on hold for my local library. Nice. <laughs> right on. By the way, just to let you know, your local library has horror movies. If you don't know that <laughs> anything true. we've talked about, um, I definitely got work from the library. You can get many things there. <laughs> and if you think, does the library have this? I've taken Human Centipede out from the library. <laughs> so just keep that in mind, everyone. It's true. Support your local library, even if it's not streaming. Uh, Monster Squad is probably at the local library if you have a hard yes. time finding it down. Cool. Well, thank you, Jet Mike. Yeah. Right on. Jenny from the grave. I've got a couple movies. Well, I've got two movies and a show. Well, actually, a movie, a documentary, and a show. There we go. The first one is Willie's Wonderland, which came out a couple months ago. Maybe it was even February. Yeah, it came out during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it came out a little bit later in in the pandemic. So it's kind of hard to find right now. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I got it from the library. Get it from the library. (laughs) library. I did, and I did just see this. It's a romp. I don't. I don't know. I guess it's a dark comedy. Yeah, I mean, sure. It's, 
in the vein of um, Five Nights at Freddy's, that kind of same plot of the video game, if you if anybody had ever played that, which I never had, and I didn't realize how close it was to oh, yes, that yeah. game. So basically Chuck E. Cheese, but Chuck the e. animatronics kills tries to kill you trying to kill you yeah that's the plot (laughs) it is produced by and starring nicholas cage sir nicholas cage i've already i've knighted him nobody else did in my eyes he is knighted um you go queen it's so silly he has like two lines in the whole movie i swear so he's just this like silent man who's very much like ryan gosling's character in drive yeah yep just Just a silent type cool Drinking energy he gets, drinks. He gets a flat tire and he ends up having to pay off fixing his car at by cleaning up this um, old Chuck E. Cheese kind of place that has gone Willie's Wonderland. Disrepair. <laughs> yeah, Willie's Wonderland. It's like so gross and nasty and the big puppets in the back are all like like broken and disheveled looking and he has to clean it up all by himself and it's very weird and suspect like why okay you know the owner wants to clean up clean it up so that he can reopen and make more money on willie's wonderland and it is all about what happens inside when the doors are closed and uh those animatronics aren't so innocent looking you know it's got its ups and downs i wouldn't say it's like an a plus plot line mostly i i liked it because it was nicholas cage being nicholas cage (laughs) the puppetry is really great too sometimes you know like sometimes that makes a movie you know even if the plot is a little wishy-washy it's just acting's great and the um the the production was was fun so that's my first movie check it out it's a weird one don't don't go in expecting too much just let it wash over you as i like to say sure yeah Um, if if five nights at freddy starring nicholas cage is what you hear and say oh cool then yeah that's it that's all you need to know don't don't think hard yeah nick cage playing pinball yeah worth the price of admission (laughs) pounding energy drinks (laughs) yeah yeah. for his 12-hour shift at Willy's Wonderland. Willy's Wonderland. Oh, yeah. do, you, do you guys know the the YouTube show uh, Horrors Hallowed Grounds? No. Mm-mm. So Sean Clark makes it. He's an agent, a celebrity agent. He would come to Rock and Shock sometimes. And he's a good dude. And his show is awesome. Horrors Hallowed Grounds. He goes and does all the film locations. And, and you know, films them and talks about the movie and this is where they shot this and tells some history of the movie, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, and he just put one out for her, um, for that movie. Oh, um, yeah. He like, he dropped out. it like last, yeah, he put it out like last week. That's cool. I bet yeah. it was in like some weird, like backwater town in like Michigan. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Good. yeah. There were, there were, there was a part in there where he's like, they don't even allow cars come to come down here. So, you know, I'm down here and there's nobody around. <laughs> is he, does he have uh, black hair? Yeah, spiky. Spiky black hair. Okay, spiky you know, black hair. I am familiar with him because he does the bonus feature, the location scouting bonus feature for Halloween 3 on the Shout Factory disc. Yes, that's that show. Oh, okay. oh it's that I've, show. Okay. That's the show. I yeah. have seen him on special features here and there and I'm like, oh, it's the guy that shows me where things happen again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's super cool. He is super yeah. cool. He almost got into a fight on the Halloween 3 uh, episode. 
Because oh, no. I think he's in front of the the motel that um, Tom Atkins, the glorious Tom mm-hmm. Atkins, Max it with the uh, with his partner there in the hotel room <laughs> on Halloween three, and he's just standing out there. And I guess one of the occupants is rising, you know, just poking at him and giving him shit. So there's some extra footage towards the end of the episode where he's just like, you want to sell this now? And he unzips his jacket and then it just cuts to black. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so who knows what actually happened? Anyway, Willie's Wonderland. <laughs> and then I've been watching uh, Pick which I think we watched last weekend. I just randomly put on Hulu and I was just like, scrolling as you do and i came upon the orange years a nickelodeon story yeah that one was great documentary that is fantastic from 2018 i don't know how i've Mm. missed it but hulu had it on like it's kind of like highlight reel and it is so cool it chronicles the rise of nickelodeon network from like the very beginnings like when it was educational and not the splatter that we know from how you know how it became really famous featuring interviews with the actors writers creators from the golden age nickelodeon shows that shaped our lives it is wild it's crazy it changed the world we have to see that Oh, it's so good. We watched it and we were both in our second dose haze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they got to the point where they're uh, doing the Nick News segment where they interviewed Magic Johnson because he just came out saying he had AIDS. Mm. And so the host says, who here is HIV positive? And three kids raise their hand. And then this little girl starts crying. And Magic Johnson start, just puts his arm around her and says it's going to be okay. And uh, man, wow. I cried so hard. I just couldn't help we myself. We both broke down. We were like, what's was just so bad. I was a blubbering mess of wow. just orange slime. I was... <laughs> it's a really well done, beautiful documentary. I highly recommend anybody who loved Nickelodeon, watch Nickelodeon, check it out because it, it chronicles all the, the wonderful people that made that possible and that like shaped it yeah and like the unspoken thing about nickelodeon that i found out from this documentary was just how how many women were in charge Mm -hmm. and you know steered the ship you know uh, Mm -hmm. from every facet like uh, the president ceo all the way down to like the production and the scouting and yeah um geraldine layborn was the kind of she was the the first ceo and she was one of the biggest brain children of Nickelodeon was it was her baby pretty much which I didn't know that my significant other did not have cable growing up <gasps> so there's this gap between our childhood nostalgia where he doesn't have all of it like you probably mm-hmm. watch stuff at friends houses or his cousins or yeah. something I'll bring up something and then I'm like oh I gotta YouTube this you gotta know about this thing so perhaps watching that did he ever ever have any of the Nick oh. tapes the orange tapes I don't know, maybe, but I don't think his family had a lot of, like, tapes and things, too. Not the mm-hmm. same way that my family did, who were obsessively recording everything. So, yeah, I don't know, but I think it would be interesting, too, for people who maybe weren't there when it happened, just to be mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what people are talking it's about. It's just unbelievable how big it got and how, like, it just exploded. It, was since, it, it's, it is the 90s. It's people- interesting that... And it, it faded quickly when Cartoon Network kind of came up. And I don't yeah. know what happened there, like what they lost that Cartoon Network was giving. So mm. it would be interesting. I don't know if the movie. Yeah, check it out. They do, they do touch on that. They yeah. Do. 
Um, I don't want to give anything away, but yeah. I do have one question though. Mm. Does anybody know the year in which they're supposed to unearth the Nickelodeon time capsule? <gasps> oh my gosh, I forgot about that. I've got it memorized, it's burned into my brain. 2022? No. Damn. The year 2042, so 50 years after they buried it, so oh, okay. 92 is, must have been where it went. Wow. I'm pretty sure the time capsule, they moved it from Nickelodeon Studios. They put it somewhere else, but I'm still hoping that they do unearth it in uh, 20 more years. I'll be there, hopefully. I'll be there, too, yeah. Watching, but you can go online and look, uh, look up stuff about it. I don't That's know if you cool. mentioned it in the documentary, but I think there's mm -hmm. a full list of everything. I'm going to check that, that out. In there. That's <laughs> we had a Ren and Stimpy Stinkiest Stories VHS tape that was our like yes. holy Bible. Yeah. And our parents didn't want us watching it at our Nana's house or at my grandparents' house. And so they would hide it in the same okay. spot each time. Fools. And of course we found it and we were like, yay! Nice. Instead of just getting rid of it, they hid it every time. But yeah, it was our holy Bible. It's so good. Yep. That's my picks. <laughs> right on. What about you, Midnight Dave? I had to think of some stuff because I haven't been watching a lot of movies recently. So I have a book, a video game, and wrestling. That is what I've been watching <laughs> the past month. The book is pretty great. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a kaiju nut. And so I am probably one of the few people that when they get a deluxe edition of a movie, they actually read the booklets. So naturally, all this uh, kaiju stuff's been coming out, and I've been reading the booklets, and they keep getting excerpts from this book called uh, Ashiru Honda, A Life in Film from Godzilla to Kurosawa. They're all fascinating entries, and I kept, you know, reading them. And even the uh, Criterion Godzilla set, they have the author of this book write an essay. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, fate is calling me. I have to get this book. And it's amazing. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, about halfway through, but the amount of research that goes into this is phenomenal. You get, you know, his early life, how his career was sidelined because he got drafted six times to fight for the Imperial Army and was a POD. Regardless, even as a POD in China, his Chinese captives thought he was a great guy and invited him back to stay in China after the war. Wow. <laughs> like, that's just how great of a guy he was. You know, he persevered. He didn't start really directing movies until he was my age, which, you know, makes me feel great, right? <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. And, you know, it just, it's a very great, insightful deep dive. You know, it's definitely made with love. And it's not like a, like a, like a dry read. It's very much like a kind of like a creative nonfiction. They do tell anecdotes. He was very good friends with Kurosawa, who's a, another famous Japanese director, did uh, Rashomon, Karu, Seven Samurai. And as a director, I love. So it's very interesting to see these two directors I love just be chummy, chummy friends. Mm -hmm. So it's great. Get it from your local library. One anecdote I'll share is when he was away, one of his six tours of duty and his wife was taking care of their first child. And, uh, you know, it's bombed out. They're already at war with the United States at this point. And Kurosawa comes to visit. She only has two beers in the fridge. So she offers Akira Kurosawa this beer. And so she goes to do something, a task or whatever. And then she comes back and she finds a half drinking beer and a note uh, from Kurosawa saying, Thank you for your hospitality. Please share this beer for when you have a free moment for yourself. Thank you. 
And then that was it. So that was like the close relationship that they had. He would just split everything down the middle. And after all the kaiju stuff that he did, he would end up being the second director for Kurosawa's later films. So it was a friendship that lasted throughout their entire lives. So it's a great book. Another video game recommendation, and Jenny, you can hop in on this as well, uh, that we played and finished was called Knights and Bikes. It's by the studio, this British studio called Foam Sword and was distributed by Double Fine Productions, which is one of my all-time favorite game developers. They did Psychonauts, which is one of my all-time favorite games. They've also done Costume Quest, which is a Halloween-themed game, and a bunch of other stuff. Brutal Legend for all the metalheads out there that you know love our Metalocalypse reference. So Double Fine has a bunch of top-tier games, very creative studio. I don't know how they became the uh, the distributors of this game, but it definitely fits in their catalog, even though they didn't develop it. But Knights and Bikes, much in line with The Goonies, and I would say Psycho Gorman, has this very imaginative little girl who becomes friends with this other little girl who just kind of hopped on the ferry to discover and find the legend of the treasure this legendary treasure on this like secluded island. I forget their names. I think uh, Nessa. Nessa. And... Melzi. Melzi. Yeah. yeah. Melzi. Mes- yeah. Yeah. Melzi is a native of the island, and then Nessa is the one that comes in on the ferry. And so Melzi just recently lost her mother, and so the dad's a mess. But this is all told from the kid's perspective. So everything is very tall and huge and grandiose compared to the small tykes that they are. And so it's very Goonies inspired. So they're trying to find this treasure. So they're searching throughout, but then there's a curse, right? And the curse is trying to prevent them from finding more about this treasure. And then of course, what's a Goonies inspired adventure game without bikes so you can customize? It's super fun. It's super fun. It is fantastic. We played it throughout the course of like a week and a half. You ride your bikes around, you have a goose who follows you, and you have to feed the goose or he'll get depressed. Called Captain Honkers, yeah. That's probably my favorite part of the game, I'm not going to lie to you. Dave was always like, let's go, we gotta go, and I'm like, I gotta feed goose first, Mm. I gotta give goose some love, don't you be rude to goose. You pet the goose, and then his neck, like, wiggles around, and hearts come up from An adorable noise. Yeah, it's super fun. His um, what's his name? Captain Honkers yeah. is his uh, superhero name, and he has huge muscles. And he does he does assist the team. He has a good nose, so nose. he'll yeah. smell something, and then he'll lead you to where you're supposed to go. And it's mm-hmm. pretty great. He also takes a shit after you feed him. I was gonna let them figure that out on their own, Dave. Well. Too bad. So bad because Well now I'm sold. I was like, no, no. But now I know that the goose shits. Well, I'm totally there. And the goose shits. I'm um, there for goose shit. No, it's a fun, fun, fantastic game. It was on sale on the Switch. It might still be. They have very long sales on there. It's also available for PC and just about everything mm, else. It's a positive, wonderful game that deals with so many things like loss, friendship, loneliness, like a broken parent, like parent unit. It's just, it's really great. And it's like, it deals with all these themes, but it deals it so well, but it doesn't like break the optimism or the joy that you have having it. Mm. Like, it's not like a drudge, you know? I wouldn't say it's like a freaking... It's very subtle. Yeah, it's not like Call of Duty where it bashes you over the head and then you're miserable. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like still really fun, still really positive. This game is nothing like Call of Duty. (laughs) No, it's nothing like Call of Duty. And that's what's great about it. Yeah, it's like a storybook. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's like a storybook, but it's also co-op, which is great for us. We like to play together. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, if you are also have great roommates or a partner, companion, um, this is a great game to play with them as well. So yeah, Knights and Bikes. And then uh, Jet Mike was good enough to give me his uh, WWE Network, which is actually now Peacock login information. So I've been binging a lot of wrestling stuff. So this is a very niche market I am ranting to. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt kind of hard back into uh, wrestling. And I can't recommend enough the ECW One Night Stand. It's available on DVD for like five bucks everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's That's some good wrestling. I've tried different things i've tried uh you know i've watched old stuff where it's very slow and a bunch of meatballs just pounding each other <laughs> which is fun but i can only watch so much of that i've watched i the- think i coined the term meatballs thank you very much you did coin the term meatballs <laughs> and patenting. i'm gonna copyright that appropriate very accurate <laughs> And then I've tried watching the new stuff, but uh, the new WWE stuff just isn't doing it for me. The women's division has come over leaps and bounds in the past since I last watched it. Uh, oh my goodness. Just in the last like five years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this all started because I got into a PS2 kick. And so I bought uh, SmackDown Here Comes the Pain, which is supposedly the holy grail of PS2 era video games, if not video wrestling games in general. And I can attest that this game is super fun. The story mode's insane. I got into a rivalry with Triple H over a car. <laughs> By the way, I'm Goldberg, and Goldberg doesn't have any outside clothes, so he just drives in his wrestling undies <laughs> with elbow pads and knee pads. You mean that's what they do all the time? They're always oh, yeah. ready to wrestle. Always ready to wrestle. And so Triple H gave me beef about my car. I punched him in the face, and next thing I know, uh, <laughs> we're having a last man standing match at the next pay per view. <laughs> and he's carried out in the stretcher because I beat him. It's it's ridiculous like that. So it's also a testament, speaking of time capsules, to how video games are time capsules, because this is exactly how I left and remember wrestling, which is Goldberg and Brock Lesnar and then Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio. And, and Eric Bischoff is the GM of Raw and Stephanie is the GM of SmackDown. So it was just like a good nostalgia kick. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what things are up to these days. Not good. That's uh, <laughs> not good for the WWE. Well, lucky for you, this is a very good time to start again because there is a lot going on in wrestling. There is. I was taken aback. I mean, to talk about my trajectory, I watched WWE one night, uh, ECW One Night Stand, and it got to the Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio match. Now, I'm a sucker for cruiserweights. It was my favorite thing about WCW. I love all the, I loved all the luchadors that they brought in. Mm-hmm. So I watched that and I'm like, gee, I wonder what these guys are up to. And then that made me fall down the luchador hole that I find myself in now <laughs> with AAA. The, uh, was it CLL, which is the more traditional two out of three falls luchadors, which is still pretty great. E-M-L-L. Is it E-M-L-L? C-C-M. C-L-M-L-L, yeah. And uh, and then was it the uh, U-W-A and all of that? And then also, of course, A-E-W, which now they all kind of work in cahoots and Kenny Omega is the champion of all three. And It's kind of a, a big deal because it hasn't really been done before where WWE has been very notorious for kind of just sticking to themselves and pretending that other companies don't exist. Yep. That... These kind of indie companies have come together to work together is sort of different and 
it's it is a good time to start watching because a lot of interesting things are happening yeah and not only that like it's literally international because triple a is you know based in you know mexico and uh aew i think is um more of a southern production they're in florida but that's because florida's got all the laws passed to make wrestling happen very easily there (laughs) and Uh, the owner the owner owns the jaguars so he has a stadium Oh yeah, that's true. which is where they've wrestled all during COVID. AEW works closely with Japan or has started to, so it's literally like an international thing, and it's it's cool to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it, and it's great because I have followed Kenny Omega outside of my wrestling interest. Like, uh, like this is the first time I'm into wrestling for like eight years if not more. But, you know, the Meltzer scores of five stars have loomed, bubbled to the surface, and Kenny Omega's name keeps popping up. So I've seen his matches in between. And to, like, walk into wrestling now, and he is the champion for three promotions, and, you know, find out he's a Final Fantasy nerd. He's got moves named after Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah, he's a big video game nerd. Yeah, and he loves, like, a next generation, apparently. So, you know, this guy's ringing all my bells is what I'm saying. So um, prepare for me to just smooge over wrestling in the coming months or so. You did not prepare me for this, but you just did it anyway. So <laughs> thanks for giving the audience a uh, <laughs> a warning and not me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, I'm definitely digging all the Luchador stuff. No, that's really cool. I dig that stuff too. I just don't have, I don't have the background or the knowledge. We never watched wrestling in my house at all. Jet Mike had me, texted me five minutes before it even started when Triple Mania, which is Triple A's big show, was starting. He was like, oh, just to let you know, uh, it's starting. And I popped it on and watched the entire thing. I didn't know anybody really, but it was just so fun and interesting. I believe his name was Mr. Iguana. <laughs> it was a guy in like one of the first <laughs> matches. And he was a dude, yet yeah, Mr. Iguana. He's a dude that looks kind of like an iguana and was beating people up with a stuffed iguana. <laughs> like, no, I love the spectacle of it. It's it was great. so great. Very fun. And Kenny Omega had a five-star match that night. He was there. defending his belt which he still carried we thought for sure maybe he'd give it up because he had it for so long because of covid a lot of these belts haven't changed hands because people haven't been wrestling a lot Hmm. but nope he still held on to it he's literally covered in title belts right now deservedly so so yeah i don't know what kind of recommendation i'm giving uh other than check out what's happening now it's a good time also rest in peace lucha underground i'm definitely catching up on that and loving every second of it that is a show I miss. Watch MLW. MLW. All the characters, all the characters are starting to come back into that league. Oh, good. Is uh, yeah. Ricochet still Prince Puma? He's no, in WWE. He's, he's, he's locked up. Oh, he's locked up. <laughs> not, not in jail. In, <laughs> no. in wrestling. In wrestling. <laughs> WWE's got him in a headlock. Uh, yeah, because he's so good. He's so good. Uh, I'm every anytime a wrestler of that isn't a fucking meatball goes to wwe i'm almost like certain that they're just going to be underused and let go of their contract (laughs) in like a year samoa joe being a great example he was great in tna i don't know what the fuck they did with him just to let him go during the pandemic but whatever this is a movie podcast (laughs) (laughs) i know we'll have to start the wrestling one later then yeah exactly I, yeah. I don't think there's any wrestling podcasts, actually. Has anybody ever heard of one of those? No way. There's, <laughs> there's got to be. be some. No, I'm uh, being sarcastic. There's a bazillion. <laughs> okay. 
you had me there, Katron. You had me. There. I'm, sorry. I'm like, this can't. Um, this is an untapped market, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry. No competition. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you get anything out of that, BCW One Night Stand is a fun time. But with that, those are my recommendations. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for joining me. Unbeknownst to the audience, you know, we had to reschedule this. So thank you for being lenient with your schedules. From here, we're going straight into an MRS meeting. So that's going to be fantastic. We're watching, um, what is it? Foreign Rubber Docks? Foreign Rubber Docks is the theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're watching, was it Extro and... Yes. Burial Ground. Burial Ground. Burial Ground. Oh, yeah. Extro oh, yeah. being my pick and Burial Ground is Jet Mike's. Right? Yeah, yeah, guys. This is going to be a hell of a double feature. If people have not seen either of these movies, they're in for a goddamn treat. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, you at home can do your own double feature of those two movies and let me know what the results are. <laughs> but we are the Midnight Cast. Keep up with us, midnightcast.com, midnightremerasociety.org. Follow us everywhere. We're doing some Let's Plays on Twitch. I am Midnight Dave and... Katron and Katron. Sorry. And those were all of my fellow participants. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Take care. Be safe. Kenny Omega is awesome. Take care. (laughs)